Welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes, and I'm here with my good friend, Tim Elliott. Say hi, Tim. Hello, hello, hello. And we've got a great lung buster of a show for you today, as Dave Endocrine would say. A lung buster? You're going to have to go back and read The Dark Knight Returns, okay? I guess I'm going to have to. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, now Tim has been on assignment going out and digging, digging things up since we uh, kicked the uh, interns to the curb. And uh, he's got a special treat for us. You want to tell us about that? Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> we're going to be covering uh, an, uh, our first New Universe book, uh, Marvel, but it's their imprint, New Universe, that they, you know, their experiment back in the 80s. And it just happens to be John Byrne's first issue, which is issue number 11. Uh, of what? Of the Starbrand, as it was called when he took over. It was Starbrand. When he took over, he changed it to The, the Starbrand. And now, that was so that he could sit there and switch it around to people, and we would follow the stories of those people. Right. Apparently, he was, and you can kind of tell, he was more interested in The Starbrand as a weapon, source of power, mm-hmm. cur- whatever you want to call it, instead of the, our lead character up till this point, which is... Uh, Ken Connell. Connell. Connell, yeah. I don't know what I'm saying, Connell. Uh, I think I'm thinking, thinking of Stephen Jay. I was thinking exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking. Um, so, so yeah, he, he, he took it uh, in, a, in a little bit of a different, uh, you can almost say he ditched him pretty quick. Uh, well, you know, the direction. thing is, the thing is, is that if the first six issues were uh, pretty much all Jim Shooter. And he told the story as just focused on ken connell if you if you look at that story it's not like other comic book stories where you got plots and subplots and all this other stuff going on you're staying with connell it was almost first it was almost first person it was always everything was from his perspective yes and so when it got you know john burns time he sat there and said let's focus on the brand itself and but he gave us so many other things all the subplots and whatnot and everything i mean there were and and in my research, I found things that he was forced to change, and, and that was one of the things Tim and I were talking about before the show. But um, it turns out that, and this is from John Byrne's website, uh, that one of the characters that Shooter had put in the book was based on an old girlfriend of his, and he didn't get her to sign any kind of release or waiver to use her name or, or likeness. So after Shooter left the book, she threatened to sue. And so that's why Debbie Fix, Debbie the Duck, was referred to in Burns' book and later as Batty Felix. And so, yeah, I mean, a lot of changes had to come in. Now, do we want to go ahead and talk about the the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room before we talk the story, or do we want to talk about well, it? Well, let's after? first, just in case uh, we've got some young listeners. Okay. Uh, in case there's anybody out there other than John and David, we know they listen. Yes. Uh, a little. Let's give a little background on what the new universe was. All right. Uh, I'll start. Uh, it was. It was to coincide with Marvel's 25th anniversary, 
in 86. And they, uh, I think the president at the time, and I can't remember his name, had the idea of doing something to help celebrate. So Shooter originally, as I read, had an idea of similar to doing something with like the Ultimate Universe. They would end all the Marvel runs and just reimagine them and restart them. Well, that stalled or, you know, that was vetoed out. So he decided to get together with some of the other editors and they decided to do just uh, um, a different imprint. So it was going to be not the Marvel Universe, not the 616 Universe. It was going to be the world outside your window. So it was going to be very, you know, kind of realistic. It's interesting you use that term, the world outside your window. That was their tagline, yeah. But isn't that what Stan Lee was calling the Marvel Universe back in the 60s? Yeah, I think you know, it was. He, he said because yeah. he, he said that's what was different between them and the distinguished competition. <laughs> is that is that you know the Marvel comics take place in the world yeah. outside your window, and it, it, it and I can't find the link to that, but I know that that's out there somewhere. Well, it's, this is almost like uh, like a, a Russian nesting doll. If you think of the Marvel <laughs> universe, this is the universe within the Marvel universe, and that universe is within our universe. So uh, this was. Um, the pitch toward this was it was supposed to be uh, just like up until the point where this kind of this uh, universe kicks off. It was exactly like our world. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Even the fact that Marvel Comics existed in that world. And then yeah. there's a thing called the White Event and mm-hmm. that kind of kicks everything off. You start getting mutants and superheroes show up and just, you know, all the superhero shenanigans. Dogs uh, and cats living together. <laughs> That's a story. Uh, and the other thing, which I don't and I haven't looked at it close enough to see if they kept up to it, but it was supposedly uh, it was going to take place in real time. So a month would pass between issues, and I don't know if they st- stuck with that or if obviously if one if one issue was like a cliffhanger and the next issue picked up, obviously those two coincide. But then you might skip ahead. So and there's supposed to be there were supposed to be real world consequences, mm-hmm. uh, and no you know no Norse gods no magical beings no aliens of course a lot of these roles were broken right off the bat <laughs> with several of the uh of the titles and there were uh nine i just read this nine eleven uh how many there was Starbrand, kickers incorporated spitfire justice night mask dp7 cyforce is that it there were seven i i you know i just you said justice scene. i said justice yeah okay I, I can't think of any any yeah. other. You know, the thing is, it's actually in the book in the back. Oh, not there. That's that's. Uh, hold on a sec. While you're looking that up, I'll. It. Uh, I actually have to pull it out of the bag <laughs> to look at that part. I, this was heavily hyped. I remember seeing ads for it. Um, uh, well, if I can't look in, at the later ones. I got to look at the early early ones, yeah. don't I? And that's where it gets tough. But yeah, let's. If I look at. Uh, I'll pull up, you know, two because at least that's after it's been established and right. pretty much everything should be out by then. Now the thing is, is that you know Shooter had all these grand ideas with this, and he wanted the top level talent. Mm-hmm. And he had all this, but they cut the budget on the new universe. Apparently, Marvel uh, before, was, before was under pressure to cut. Cut. Yeah, they were under pressure by their bits or parent company to cut costs, so he couldn't he couldn't hire the big names he wanted to. But John Romita Jr., you know, begged, fought, borrowed, steal, did everything he could so that he could work on this book with with Shooter. And I mean, he 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 absolutely wanted to do that. Yeah, he volunteered. Yeah, that was yeah. 
Okay, so I see uh, DP7, Justice, Kickers, Inc., Merc. Merc. That was the other Nightmask, one. Nightmask, Cyforce, Spitfire, and the Troubleshooters, and then Sarbrand. Yeah. That was it. So there were eight to begin with. God, and eight. See, they had so many imprints. They had Star Comics, which had Masters of the Universe, which I don't know if you heard, Kevin Smith is the showrunner for Netflix's new Masters of the Universe series. I didn't know there was a new Masters of the Universe. Yeah. They're, Live they're, action they're, or they're cartoon? Pick up a cartoon um from what i understand it's going to pick up right where they left off so you know still princess whatever doesn't know that adam is he-man and that his pet tiger is the other tiger you know yeah so it's going to be adam and orko sitting around discussing um uh, isn't orko just like a magic jawa uh he's a he's kind of like a uh, he's kind of like a yoda i guess yeah they're going to sit around just discussing obscure pop reference Pop but so aside from the Star Comics, which also had Peter Porker, the Spectacular Spider-Ham, mm-hmm. Ewoks, Heathcliff, Muppet Babies, Care Bears, and Mad Balls, Mad Epic Balls. Comics also was being put out that time. They had Swords of the Swashbuckler, Grew the Wanderer by Sergio, is it Aragones? Aragones? Aragones. Aragones, yes. Yeah. Uh, Boz Chronicles, I don't remember that. And Electra Assassin, the uh, limited series from Frank Miller and Bill Sienkiewicz. Which I don't know about you, but I love that series. That series was just balls out. Nuts I haven't read it. I, I remember the loving the artwork, but I don't I haven't read it in so long. Yeah, basically, Dave Letterman was the president. I, I think Frank Miller <laughs> had something against Dave Letterman because he 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 spoofed him in The Dark Knight Returns and killed him in the same mm-hmm. issue. <clears throat> and he also kind of spoofed him there in uh, Electra Assassin. At least that's my memory of it. I could be. Uh, far off that. I have to look that because I've not read it in years. I, I remember loving it, but I hadn't read it in years. Anyway, but you know, going back to the Star Brain again, it was you know the new universe was was Shooter's pet project, and, and I'll let you continue on since you. No, were the one that's what he he was. He wrote the. I don't know if you, I don't know if you want to consider Star Brain to be the flagship, but he it had the probably Absolutely. the 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 biggest name in art and. I guess you could say the biggest name as a writer, with uh, Shooter himself writing it. And, and well, you know, with the the team up of John Romita Jr. and Al Williamson, I think that was the first time the two of them worked together, and that was uh, a, just an incredible team to put together. Because before that, um, Romita Jr.'s uh, been getting inked by like Dave Hunt and um, uh, who, Klaus Janson. Who was and, inking and, him on X Men when he was doing the X Men? Like the Dan Green. Dan Green was inking him on X Men, and I was never, you know, enamored of Dan Green's inks on his work. Um, I mean, sometimes it looked similar to Al Williamson, but it it lost the the symmetry that that you see with Williamson's inks, mm-hmm. um, especially it, as you see it in Starbrand. Uh, you know, I, again, it's got that it could be the world outside your window. Uh, until you see superpowers going, right? But and I'll and, and you know Romita Jr. of course is it, he's got you know he'd gotten his style going I think right there and this is a style that he is pretty much hung with even in in the recent years it's, when he was doing uh, like uh, kick ass right it's it's mod- it's 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 morphed a little more it's a little mm-hmm. more uh, scratchy kind of like the way that it looks when Jansen Kalas Jansen inks him like mm-hmm. when he was doing Punisher. Uh, when Williams is doing it, it, uh, it looks much cleaner. It looks more like uh, what his style kind of evolved into when he came off of. Uh, I'm going to say he came off of Spider-Man and he went on to X-Men. That's where you see that his the evolution of his art kind of starting right. in his very exactly. distinct way. And then now it's much more distinctive. Well, you know, it's funny in recent years with with Jan's, with uh, John Romita Jr. seeing his artwork on Superman. 
and then seeing his artwork on other projects, it's it's almost like he's gotten he got so loose on Superman. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if it was that he didn't like it, didn't care, didn't like the story or whatever, but it almost seemed like there there was a disconnect there with his art. Yeah, then his art and other other things that he's been doing recently, which is much better. I mean, it's I just my know. opinion. Is I could be wrong. So I'm, I've kind of actually don't are not collecting comics anymore, at least not current. And stuff. I'm trying to remember what it, what it, what it is that I've been looking at recently. What's he because, doing? Details yeah. doing Superman. Uh, no, I'm, I, actually, he's been doing some Batman. Oh, interesting. I would think uh, he would Batman would suit him more than Superman. Yeah, I don't I'm know. Trying to I've see. got I've got his stuff. He, he did, but oh yeah, the yeah. Superman Year One. That's what he's and, doing, and that okay. artwork, that artwork's fine. Okay. Um, I mean, the front, the the cover of page one. I mean, the cover of the book itself doesn't look right. It looks like him trying to draw Brandon Routh, <laughs> but but beyond that, the the interior art looks fine. And and yeah, I I read that, and I want to get the rest of them, but that's not what we're here to talk about. No. Well, let me ask you, how did did you read this from the get go? Did you buy? Yeah, these? I, I I was buying every issue of of Star Brand. Uh, it was the only one that I was consistently buying. I bought like the first issue of all of them, like like you know we as speculated yeah. collectors did back in the day, and may have may have bought more than one copy. I may may have six copies <laughs> of of the first issues of some of those. I didn't do that. I just bought. I just bought. Uh, but. Uh, you know, and of course, I was riveted by the the shooter Ramita storyline, and even uh, I didn't hate the. I think it was the third or fourth issue where Alex Savick and Vinny Coletta, the <laughs> I mean, the most <laughs> unlikely duo for art to be put onto a book. I mean, I'm surprised we didn't get stick figures. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I've never been a fan of Alex Savick's uh, work. I've seen him on on uh, Peter Parker and and other books. I wasn't really thrilled. And of course, I, I didn't know the whole, back in the 80s, I didn't know anything about Vinnie Coletta. I, I was not paying attention to the Kirby stuff. I was not paying attention to the work that he did and what Coletta had done to it. Uh, only recently, in the past several years, have, have I sit there start looking at a lot of different things and seeing what, you know, became of uh, of a lot of art. And I hear all this stuff about Coletta, and I can't find it in me to dislike his work as much as others do, because I know what it is to be in a job like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't have a problem with his style. Only thing I've ever heard was when I first started hearing his name thrown around was that he would start erasing stuff so he wouldn't have to do it. Right. Yeah, he he just yeah. No, I'm not getting that. Oof. Yeah, I, I I collected them all. Uh, I st- I stayed with Starbrand. I stayed with DP Seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the others I went up through. I think to the the run like um, Night Mask, and I fell off of Spitfire pretty quick because I didn't like the artwork. I fell off Merc like after the second issue. I fell off of Cyforce pretty quick. Although that had an early texture yeah. on it. Um, but I mean, the thing was, is that when you know Shooter got fired after issue six, and so there was several filler issues that went in. Yeah, it went by monthly for about and, and six it, months. It, it went by monthly. Well, no, this was the beginning of bi monthly. I thought wasn't issue eleven the first from the bi monthly? No, I think it came back. It said for those three issues, it was bi monthly. So basically, it was a six month span where those are considered filler issues, uh, ah. like a seven, eight, nine. But yeah, Carrie Bates, or, you know, writing two of them just typical comic book tropey kind of stuff and then this guy i think his name was frank carragon who wrote probably the this i mean he wrote an actual decent story you know with the guy that called himself gladiator Mm -hmm. who looks a lot like h in ready player one now (laughs) um 
where, where he, the guy was basically a walking nuclear reactor and he was going to go to Moscow and basically try to end the Cold War. And the star brand ended up doing to him what Superman should have done to Doomsday. Just and that was he was going to throw him into the sun, <laughs> and then he just, just turned around and threw him into deep Please. space so he wouldn't have to kill him. One of those issues, I think it's, is it 10 or is it? That, is, that was is 10. Mark, is that and, 10? And it, is it's it the funny Mark, because if is you Is that the Mark Bagley at, issue? Mark Bagley did the artwork on that. And if you look at the last page, the last page looks like it was Byrne and Palmer. Yeah, because the rest of that artwork doesn't look anything like Bagley, at least not what you would think his yeah, artwork the, the, would become. The last yeah, the last page itself is Ken Connell waking up going, did that really happen? Oh, yeah. And that, that, that picture right there was like Byrne and Palmer. <clears throat> and, of course, I didn't catch on to that. I, I caught, you know, of course, at the bottom it says John Byrne, you know, you know, first issue of Starbrand coming out. You know, John Byrne's right. you know, doing the next issue of Starbrand. And so I was pumped. I was ready for Byrne greatness taking up with that character. And, and again, this is um, someone that was oblivious to the goings-on at, you know, DC and Marvel and all the whatever that's going on in the background. I didn't know how the sausage was made. I didn't know that that Burn and Shooter had their own differences, but I started hearing about it. And, uh, again, I didn't know what what it meant that Tom Palmer was going to be doing the inks. Um, I, I had the, um, the Silver Surfer one-shot that Burn and Palmer had done, but it, you know, it, it didn't dawn on me what we're going to see here because it, it, it turned out it wasn't John Byrne doing full pencils, I and mean, he was just oh, doing can, light, light break. You can tell that this doesn't look. Um, that was my first, and I don't guess I didn't remember this when when re- reading this back because I haven't read this since '86, '87. Yeah. Uh, other than the the way he's got characters positioned on the page, that looks like Byrne. Right, the the you know the way he's got everything, the way it's kind of laid out. Yeah, none of the rest of it. It, it I, I opened this up, and if you told me this was uh, Basima, I would have thought, wow, this looks a lot like Basima. And yeah, it looks like B- Basima and Palmer on on Avengers. Exactly, and yeah, I know he did a long, and I tried to find because he's done so little of just penciling himself. He's almost primarily right. an inker. I couldn't find any examples of his artwork to think this has to be. I mean, Byrne had to do some really rough, almost, as you point, maybe stick figures uh, for Palmer to take this much control. Because I don't see, other than layouts, I don't see any Byrne in this at all. What what I understand is that Palmer is very heavy-handed. And, I mean, if you look at Byrne's X-Men Hidden Years, you'll see that Byrne's given full pencils. And Palmer's inks are still heavy. Heavy powering, and the thing is, is that but Hidden Years is supposed to utilize that in much the same way that Neil Adams and Tom Palmer worked on those six issues of X Men mm-hmm. that they did back, you know, in the in the early days. And I mean, that's that's what Hidden Years is supposed to be. It's supposed to be that throwback, and so that's how Byrne wanted it. So, but that, I, th- that was I fine. think somebody like Adams can take a heavy hand, and it doesn't take away from the art. I think you can, right. but Byrne. We've seen when he does his own stuff, sometimes it looks a little heavy and a little muddy. Mm-hmm. I think his needs a real light touch, like like a Terry Austin, somebody with a nice... Uh, well, Terry Austin is... you know, and I've sitting there and I thought about this quite a bit. Terry Austin is actually pretty overpowering. What, what Terry Austin did to Burns Pencils for X-Men was... You know, and we've discussed this before, where it's that, that perfect mm-hmm. synergistic gestalt... Uh, of of those styles melding together 
Because if you look at, at Burns' work in Champions or Iron Fist or even, you know, the Avengers, it took certain inkers to come in and really make it sing properly. It wasn't until Byrne left the X-Men and went to Fantastic Four where he got to ink his own stuff that you really got a sense of, of what, what, he was, what he was shooting for. And, Look, and, and even, it even, wasn't quite what, what Terry Austin gave him. Now, he wasn't going to say anything because Terry Austin's like the best in the business and still is as well, far as I, I'm that's, concerned. That's got to be, I mean, I, I don't know, as a, as, a, as a penciler, you have to realize that you're giving up a little bit of what you do, that the, that the anchor has to bring something of themselves to it or else why, why are they there? If they're not right. br- bringing their talent... If they're just going to do an, an almost one for one exact copy, just scan yeah, you it. don't want it to be a tracer. Yeah, just yeah. Just are we going to cut in chasing Amy here? <laughs> just uh, I've already I've already done that joke once. Okay. Uh, just uh, no, just scan it. You know, just do a, a just Xerox it and call it call it a day. But um, it's funny reading up on Palmer. I heard that they he's considered the like quintessential anchor for Gene Colan because yeah. so many people had trouble with uh, Colan's kind of gray tones that I guess Palmer didn't. And they just, again, kind of like Burn and Austin, they just meshed so that. I would um, really like to see what, what um, Dave Cockrum's pencils would look like on under Tom Palmer, because very few anchors were able to come behind Dave Cockrum's pencils and give, do them true justice. Mm-hmm. I can see Palmer doing it. Cause again, uh, Cockrum is a, another one that has kind of a heavy hand in, in his artwork that might benefit from, Something like that. So yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting to see what uh, how this would have looked if Burn had done. Maybe he just didn't have time because as you, you we talked a little well, bit off he, air, he was yeah, doing Legends well, well, about the same time. Well, no, actually, uh, I got the list here of what he did. You know, January of 1988, um, Action Comics 596, Hell, where is where the heart is? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the um, the Demon crossover, isn't it? I think so. Uh, Adventures of Superman, Superman 436, 436 yeah. Junk, Classic X-Men, now that's a reprint. Marvel Tales 207, that's a reprint also of a Marvel team-up. Marvel 2-in-1, Trade Paperback, Project Pegasus, Saga starting to thing. Okay, so that's also a reprint. Star Brand number 11. Superman, Superman number 13. 13, Toys in the Attic. Yeah. The Amazing Spider-Man 296, Force of Arms. I think that's probably just a cover. That's just a cover. And then World of Krypton, and he just wrote the story on that, right? That was Mike Mignola. Well, no, I've got writer penciler on World of Krypton. Oh, okay, but was it Mignola or Simonson that did the That's Mignola. I think okay. it is, but I don't know. I've got writer penciler, so maybe he did breakdowns and Mignola came along. That that makes sense because yeah. it was all based on the, the designs that Byrne had used from the Man of Steel series right. to right. create the World of Krypton. But that's, yeah. I mean, that's quite a bit still. I mean, that's he a was lot. Busy. Yeah. And you could say, three well, super, some three of- Superman books. And, uh, I mean, Action Comics, he was doing the art, and Dick Giordano's studio, I say, was doing the inking. Um, Adventures of Superman, he was just doing the story, and, and er- Ordway was doing the art, right? And then Superman proper, he was doing pencils and inking, I think maybe with an assist by Keith Williams. Yeah, he was writer. I got writer artist, so he's probably both. Yeah. Uh, Adventures of Superman, he was just writing. Yeah. 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 But still, I mean, that's that's pretty darn busy. That's, that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, even you could say, well, he's just writing in some cases, but that's true. That's takes um, just as much time. And I, I'm I'm curious that I know he took this because Howard Mackey, they yeah, were friends, and I'm asked him to do this. So it wasn't like he <clears throat> petitioned to do it or came up and said, hey, let me 
kind of save this book. Let me come and take over. I think Mackie said, hey, and I don't know, I don't know what the conversation was. If it was maybe, yeah, you've got, you've got I, I actually know hand. what the conversation was. Uh, Mackie, you know, basically is, his recollection is most things, and I'm paraphrasing here, is that he asked John to do, and John immediately refused because of the full plate thing. And he would always say, you know, Mackie would always say to him, oh, you don't have to give me an answer now. Just think about it, knowing full well how John's mind mind works. And then a week later, Burma come back with a long overview, a year long overview of what he'd like to do mm-hmm. while cursing him out, you know, or in the case of West Coast Avengers, he had two completed issues done. <laughs> so, so, you know, I mean, Mackie was was as as far as his friends are concerned, a really good editor. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, and and. So, you know, that this is what he would do to Byrne. And so, you know, Byrne sits there and thinks about it and comes back and he's got, you know, an idea what he wants to do. Now, the, the, the funny thing is, is that um, Byrne made a rule for himself. And he said, one of the rules I set for myself, in fact, was that I would not use the book to take cheap shots at Shooter. And then he follows that up with revenge, as they say, as a dish best <laughs> eaten cold. Now... That being said, he didn't take little shots. He took big shots, I thought. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. But as you read the story, and, and of course, you know, I mean, the, the, the thing that's, that's prevalent upon the story of Starbrand is that Ken Connell is a very tall guy, single young man from the Pittsburgh area. All right. Jim Shooter was a very tall man. From the Pittsburgh area, and that explains is, why based in, I didn't know Shooter was from Pittsburgh. Yeah, and and Shooter is also known as a man about town, very a, a ladies' man. Now, you know, he was, but he was actually in the eighties known as the most eligible bachelor in New York. Mm. So, you know, I mean, all put all that together, and you've got a character that sounds like Ken Connell. Now, that being said. When I and, and and I've actually talked to Shooter about this myself. You you, you were there when when mm-hmm. uh, when I was asking him this. You know, I I asked him when you're writing a story like this, are you thinking about? I mean, are you just telling one story? Or are you thinking about how it represents to one group of people versus how it represents to another? Because as a young person, as a teenager, reading this story, uh, I, or a young man is, I was like, wow, this guy can, you know, Connell, he's he's pretty, he's got it, you know, he he knows what he's doing and all that. And of course, you you know, you look at it years later and you're like, God, what an idiot, yeah, you know. <laughs> and he goes, man, I'm glad I grew out of that. <laughs> but um, so I mean, again, you 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 can, it, he was in his what 40s when he was writing this story, so I, I'm sure he had his own thoughts about how the character was, or maybe how he was as a younger man. Versus well, as an I mean, older think about it. If, if it, this is supposed to be our actual world until the white event and <laughs> things change, he could be thinking, well, what if I had superpowers? What if I was given this opportunity? What would I do? And Back that may then, be, and that, yeah, that's probably what you would that, do at that that's age. Exactly how it's, and that's probably what he's, how it started from. So, I mean, I, will, I mean, I won't give that. that yeah, uh, I, I would love to pick Shooter's brain on what he'd planned to do after the sixth issue did he have further plans on that did he have a, a, a definite direction or was he writing by the seat of his pants i don't know i don't know they, they did say that he was when he was uh when this originally started they tried to get the universe up and running they gave it to uh to falco and i guess 
it's just stalled. Nothing ever happened with it. So then he kind of regrouped and got uh, Grunwald involved, and I think Mackie and some others, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, Mike uh, Higgins. And so they started getting it, it going, and, and then at that point he was involved, in, according to Wiki, he was involved in some political stuff going on at Marvel, which is my, a nice way of saying he was you know, about to be forced out. So he couldn't devote enough attention to it as he wanted to. So uh, that's why I had to do with his writing or just the uh, the overall. Because this was, <clears throat> I guess a lot of people consider this, this run to be a failure. But apparently the books that made it to the end were selling well enough. Uh, at yeah, the and canceled. If, if you look at issue 10, um, that's the one we were t- talking about a little while ago that Mark mm-hmm. Bagley did the artwork on. There is a, uh, a, a on the not the letters page, but on the publication page where they usually, you know, give a spotlight on a writer or artist or whatever they did. They first, they actually did a, uh, a spotlight, I think on Howard Mackey, but then they also did a, a notice. Jim shooter is leaving. Mm-hmm. Boy, this guy's done a lot of great things for the industry, for comics, for Marvel, you know, and they listed off a bunch of stuff that he did. And then they said, welcome aboard, you know, Tom DeFalco is editor in chief. So, you know, while maybe behind the scenes, they, I don't know how they treated him when they put him out the door, but you know, for the public face, they were pretty gracious to him. Well, it's funny because in some articles you will read that he was fired and others state that he resigned. And I've always heard he was fired. Mm, that, yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, but, love it, like him or not. I think he did do a lot for the industry. Uh, I think he's, a, but he's a pretty as they say, good writer. He got, as they say, he got the trains running on time. Yeah. But then so did Mussolini. <laughs> and they've both been called fascists. Well, it may be a, a case of, <laughs> of, of uh, you know, too much power going to your head. I mean... The, well, you know, and that's that's what it sounds like. I mean, he did some great things there, and he got a lot done. But, it, you know, the thing is, is that once you get that, you know, when you get up there, that, that number one, people have a hard time saying no to you. Mm-hmm. You, you, the people that gravitate and hang around you are the ones telling you that everything's great, you're doing everything right, you know, gosh, you're a great boss. You know, it's like David Spade in Coneheads, you know? <laughs> and and so it, it, he became what they, what Byrne referred to as the whim of iron, where every day he would just come up with some new directive. But, you know, because he is who he is, he, he had the ability to do that. So, yeah, maybe it did go to his head. But, again, we saw what his results were, and that was... A cohesive Marvel that came out on time. It came out on time. I mean, before that, they couldn't get any books out on time. Well, I think he did. He also did a lot for uh, artist rights and getting some, getting them a little more money. Not that, just artists, but writers. Yeah, All sorts everybody. of creators' rights. Yeah, you know that 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 creators of characters actually got residuals for their characters being used. John Byrne, I think, still gets residuals for Venom because he's considered one of the creators. Byrne. Yeah. Oh, because oh, because of the the Fantastic Four issue. Okay, <laughs> I had to think back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I, you know, it, like I said, there's there's some weirdness in there. There'd be a but, lot. Uh, there'd be a lot of checks to spread around for Venom because you've got uh, you've got Mike Zek, you've got Shooter, you've got uh, Byrne, you've got uh, McLeany, you've got uh, McFarlane, Ron Friends. Yep. There's a lot but of- I, 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 but I, I mean, it, again, I think it, the, you have to be very careful when it comes to who's the creator of a character. Mm-hmm. And I, I still kind of have issues with, you know, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I like Marv Wolfman, and I like George Perez, but they didn't create Dick Grayson, and yet they are credited as creators of Nightwing, 
Now, they didn't create the name Nightwing either. Nightwing was a, a Kryptonian creation. So that goes back to the Silver Age. And Dick Sprang, not Dick Sprang, um, I mean, Bob Kane and, and uh, Bill Finger, of course, created Dick Grayson, Grayson and Robin. But, but how uh, much of that credit do you give someone who becomes another character? Another character. Exactly. But yeah. I mean, he again, you know, that's that's the thing. Right now, Marv Wolfman and George Perez get credit for creating Nightwing. And that this is this is also why we get so many of these legacy characters where you know someone else becomes the new characters because mm -hmm. that way the the they have to the, pay that, right they yeah. they get they get some residuals from that. Now they don't get great residuals from it. They don't get you know, I mean, Rob Liefeld is not making getting bank for Deadpool being used in all these places. He's he's found ways of living off of it, but he's not getting, you know, big bank because of it. He can't even get a cameo in the film. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that being said. All right, you want Star Brand number eleven. Number eleven. All right, I will. I got so used to uh, John and David doing all the heavy lifting. And we just, we just had to show up and talk about the book. I'm like, oh, i got to write a synopsis? Come on. Uh, all right. Starbrand, the, excuse me, The Starbrand, issue number 11. Our writer-artist is John Byrne, who, as we established, he's writer, but he did kind of rough breakdowns. Our inker slash finisher is Tom Palmer. Colorist is Andy Yanchis. 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 Eddie Yankis. Yankis. That's a good New York name. That is a good name. That is a from good name. From the Bronx. <laughs> it's like he's from Yancey Street. Uh, our letter is Joseph Rosen, editor Howard Mackey. Our publisher, of course, is Marvel. Uh, I, this is all coming from Mike's Amazing World, so if there's anything wrong, talk to Mike. Uh, our cover date is January 1988. On sale date is September 22nd, 1987, which is uh, make it what? Four months. No, I'm trying to think because this is September now. Just trying to think what, how many years ago it was. Uh, 32 pages, 22, of course, the story. Years. That was 32 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And it's cost a whopping 75 cents. Uh, we've already covered what Byrne is doing at the same time. Uh, the only thing I've got of note is that this is John Byrne's first issue. It basically kind of retells issues 1 through 10. It's, it's almost like a jumping on point for new readers. Uh, and this following shooter got fired after issue 7. Our little synopsis goes a little bit like this uh, for Celebrity. Our story opens on September 12, 1987. Westgate Village Apartments, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the home of Ken Connell. Debbie Duck Fix, or Madeline Felix, or whatever we want to call her, <laughs> presents Ken with a black and white superhero suit she designed for him. Ken is reluctant to go public with, his super, with this superhero gig. The last few months since he was given the star brand and almost unlimited power have not gone so well. His attempts to so-called do good have not been 100% successful. Uh, Ken ducks uh, on Debbie, ducks out on Debbie without committing to anything. He flies over to his friend Myron's house as he ponders his responsibility as potential hero. Myron has been uh, through since he's got the powers. Myron has been his Jimmy Cricket slash Alfred. The short time Ken received the Starbrand power from an old man, a mysterious old man. Myron and Ken have a heated exchange as Myron gives Ken some hard truth. Myron has, listed, has listened to Ken agonize over the use of his powers and is sick of it. He calls Ken a loser and chastises him for using his power selfishly. Ken breaks down and sincerely asks for help. This is a, a plot device to devote several pages to retelling Ken's origins with his powers. 
Kintel's hey was given the power from a strange old man who turns out to be an alien. Uh, all those that are Green Lantern fans, you can ignore that part. Uh, Ken is later attacked by an armored alien looking for the star brand. Ken kills him, but not before he says that the old man was not dead and that everything he told Ken was a lie. Uh, everything you know is wrong. <laughs> uh, the old again. man shows up again, not dead, and tells Ken that there is a war waging on the other side of the universe and that he uh, he must come and help join the fight. When Ken refuses, they get into another big scuffle and Ken kills him for the second time. Uh, Ken confesses to Myron he does not really know what he's going to do with his... With, with, he's not... He does not know what he's going to do about the aliens. Um, he spends his page trying to make sense of the first ten issues with little luck. He feels his family is in danger because the alien, the old man keeps coming back and making threats about him wanting the star brain back. Uh, Myron gives him a speech uh, about him hiding his true potential, making excuses to not live up to his power or intelligence. He tells Ken his ego is keeping him from keeping him in the shadows, and Ken feels safe there. As Ken flies off to ponder his fate. Myron tells him to stop, to step into the light. When he returns home, he tells Duck he has decided to try out this new hero gig. Cut to the evening news as a reporter, <clears throat> as as a report of a genuine superhero thwarts the would-be uh, plane hijacking at the Chicago airport. Uh, the news which pre- proceeded with Ken, oh, the, the news which seems preoccupied with Ken's height and weight, tells how he ripped the top off a plane and saved the hostages. The, the one reporter is asking the, uh, the one who gave the on-site report, uh, if this could be a stunt or it could be fake. You know, could it, somebody could be pulling a hoax. Uh, Ken angrily shuts off the TV and he's upset because I've, he's gone public but they don't believe him. Ken needs proof. He heads to the moon and brings a lunar landing module from Apollo 11 back to Earth. Uh, we see an alerted Secret Service rush, in, rush into the Oval Office of President Reagan. Uh, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Uh, as the aging president looks out across the lawn, he sees Star Branding standing on top of the lunar module. Cut to the uh, cut to the office of the cut to the interior of the Marvel Comics office. John Byrne, Howard Mackey, Mark Greenwald, and Mike Higgins are discussing this, the news that an honest-to-goodness superhero exists in the world. Byrne is afraid a real-life superhero will hurt uh, the comic industry, and they may be all out of a job. <laughs> Howard Mackey thinks, "Hey, it might even boost sales. Maybe we can uh, capitalize and we can brand this guy." End scene. Uh, oh, sorry. The end scene. Uh, Bobby and Cassie are watching the news about the government announcing its full support for the superhero Starbrand. Bobby uh, energetically jumps up, announces that he knows the real identity of Starbrand, and that because this guy wears a mask and wants to keep his uh, identity secret, they are now in easy street because he's going to be working for them. Cliffhanger. Yeah. Doctor's office. We see Debbie receive the news from her doctor that she is eight weeks pregnant. The end. Bum, bum, bum. With a little teaser that something big is going to happen next issue. Yep, the single most dramatic That's occurrence been, since the, the White event. event. Yeah. So you want to start with the cover, or you want do you want to just give your general thoughts about the story? Uh, I'll give general thoughts. Because uh, I hadn't read this in a long time, and I reread to get prepped for this. I didn't get a chance to read all, but I read about the first six issues leading up to this. Mm-hmm. And this does take. Uh, it does diverge pretty good from if you read the first ten issues. Well, let's say the first six or seven because then Shooter sh- sh- leaves. This does take kind of a. Uh, you can see how Byrne came in and said, "Okay, I- I'll do this, but I'm going my way. I'm going to make these changes. Uh, I'm going to focus on this." Really, to me, is, is, is like a, really is a jumping off point it, or jumping on point because they spend so much time rehashing 
the first issues and telling the story and how, how they got to where we are now. Almost like he wanted to, if somebody's coming on, you know, if maybe they're following him to the book. And yeah. he wants to tell them, okay, this is what's happened. Uh, let's get that out of the way. This is where we're going to go forward. So uh, all in all, it wasn't a bad story. It was. It, it felt, you know, uh, it didn't grab me. Uh, the artwork especially didn't grab me because for some reason I, I expected burn when I picked it up. Right. And right. Yeah, that was, the, I think the yeah. reaction of everybody. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is, I mean, the artwork's not bad, but it's no. not burn. Right. And cause I, I, I love Pasima. I love his style, but, and it's not, not uh, Ramita jr. Which is like the first six, seven issues, six yeah. issues. And then the, the, some of the filler issues, the artwork is kind of questionable, but I don't know. I think Burns trying to work some stuff out in writing. I think that he's got a lot. It's a lot of dialogue in here. It's pretty dense, especially the stuff with. <laughs> uh, well, we'll get Myron. to it when we when we Myron, when we, yeah, we get one with Myron. But um, overall, I mean, it's 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 okay. It, it didn't. It's not. You know, looking looking at it years later, um, I, I can uh, be a lot more forgiving than I was then. I mean, back then I was upset. That I was, I was given a John Byrne book, and yet it didn't feel like a John Byrne book. At least not in the artwork. In the, in the writing, it's very much. It's, oh, it's very much Byrne, yeah. Very much Byrne. But, you know, I, 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 it, even the front cover kind of threw me off because he doesn't look like Ken Connell, you know, as a superhero. He looks like a Ken doll made <laughs> up in a superhero costume. Well, his hair's and, the wrong color, and it just, he looks... I mean, the cover looks a little more burn-like than the interior art, but yeah, uh, the portions on the body are a little off. It's a yeah, little... it 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 was just so weird to see that. Um, but again, you know the the you know the the thing with the artwork, it, it did throw me off a little bit. But I was still, I remember though, still reading it intently. I read it several times, trying to figure out what's going on. And then I started talking to people at the comic shops. I started, you know, finding out more and more, you know, that, you know, there was a lot that was going on at the time. And Byrne had, you know, developed a dislike for, for Shooter. And, and if you read What The, mm -hmm. and you read the Super Duperman story, you, you saw some, you know, serious ire there. And then, of course, Legends. Uh, the I think it's the first issue of Legends has a scene where Green, Green Lantern, Guy Gardner, takes on a villain known as Sunspot. Now, Sunspot is dressed up in the original Star Brand outfit, except that it's blue or blue-gray instead of the brown that uh, they had on the Ramita uh, books. And uh, the face of the character looks just like Jim Shooter. And at one point, Green Lantern forces the, the Sunspot character to shoot himself in the foot. Which yeah, I mean was I guess a burn making kind of a, an allegory out of uh, shooter there, but you know he said he didn't want to take shots at him. I think he did regardless. You know he couldn't help because basically he deconstructed the Ken Connell character here. But at the same time, as I'm sitting there thinking about it, he did deconstruct the character as as he was. It wasn't like he wasn't saying anything that wasn't true. You know? No, he wasn't. But you can tell that he. He didn't seem interested in dealing with Ken. Right. It's like he didn't want to deal with that character, so he he he, he wrote kind of like I said, like a jumping on character uh, issue or, or rehashing, almost like he was trying to understanding himself as he was writing it. And then you know, not to spoil anything, because the book's four years old. Uh, he 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 gets he does away with Ken. What the next issue? He kind of takes a back seat in his own book. 
And I think that's why. Yeah, he, he became this, a supporting character exactly. after after the uh, what do they call it? The black event. Uh, yeah, when he when he basically blows up Pittsburgh, which I think and is create- interesting that he's wearing a shirt that says Pitt because yeah. that's what becomes the Pitt. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can talk about the things that happen after this, and and let's go back though for just a moment. And you know, the 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 very ending of the series makes mention that Ken Connell, the old man, and spoiler if you haven't read this, this is a very important piece here. Mm-hmm. But um, Ken Connell and the old man, and well, the child are all the same guy, right? And if you go back to Starbrand issue one and you see Connell and the old man together, aside from the old man being a head taller than Connell, they got the same nose, mm-hmm. the same chin. Well, he's got all the facial hair, so you can't really tell. But, I mean, it, yeah, I, I think that was Shooter's intention you think that, you think all the time. Do you think that came from Shooter? you think he had notes that either passed Why on else to burn he or... Have the, the exact same nose, and that's a very distinctive schnoz on, on Connor there. Uncommon. I don't know. Maybe that's a, that was a, a Ramita Junior thing, or maybe he he did know. I mean, that's that's pretty far, th- you know, thinking ahead. That's kind of cool. I mean, that that's. Uh, well, again, we don't know, you know, what Shooter's ultimate intention was. That's and a con. I would that's love a con, to get that, that. Yeah, that's a con question. That's. I'm yeah. sure he'd loved it. I'm sure he'd love to talk about that. Um, I, I'm surprised he hasn't somewhere along the way. I mean, I've checked his blog. And I've tried to see, and you know, the thing is, is like if you read his blog, he's gracious on all sides around, even where John Burns concerned. So I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't take shots, and he doesn't. Uh, yeah, I think you get you get to a point where you don't. I don't think uh, if anybody, I think Burns has held more of a grudge than uh, than Shooter, but uh, especially in uh, the next issue where, and I wanted to say, <laughs> his what the, the scene at the Comic Con has any artist other than say. Kirby with with uh, Stanley drawn himself into his own book more than Byrne. Byrne loves to draw himself into his own books, and you know he does include well, people around him. Yeah, but I don't know if that's. But he killed himself too. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, whatever argument you could have about ego or whatever, it can be completely dispelled by the fact that he kills himself. <laughs> I don't know or if he, get, just... he gets killed yeah. in the course of the story. But I mean, yeah, it's that's I, I don't know that that's ego. I think it was just uh, you know the, that part of the story where they say it's a world outside our window. It's supposed to be this world, and maybe that's how he likes and to do it. Yeah. What what would have happened with the comic book world if superheroes became real? You know, uh, I mean, we're as close to that as we could possibly be right now. Well, what's in funny is <laughs> in right because they kind of answer their own question because in this book where the Marvel you know burn and rest or the same people we know, the actual people. Mm. Yeah. Not the way in Fantastic Four where he drew himself. He was drawing comics based on the exploits of the Fantastic Four. I guess they would give him stories. So right. they really went out and did this stuff. He would draw them. So in that world, having real He's, superheroes does not hurt sales. If anything, it helps because that's where they're getting their stories. And it's funny that he would bring this up in this is in this uh Universe that well, if they really are superheroes, we, you know, what are we going to do? Nobody's going to want to read our stories because there's real, there's right outside the door. But but it, but that's not the that's not the case. I mean, the thing is, yeah, you're going to hear about this superhero, and again, remember this: thirty years ago, 
cameras were around, but they just weren't everywhere like they are now. Well, no, no, yeah, there's not. You and have. so y you would get a smattering of information. You would get a different, you know, like a, a, a view of him going off really fast or, you know, something you could barely tell what it is. Shaky cam and all sorts of crappy cam. Well, but you wouldn't be getting the great stories of heroes fighting villains and whatnot. No. Well, I mean, he, he, he dressed that a little bit when he did Superman, you know, because right. in that story, he was supposed that he would always blur his face so nobody yeah. could ever get a good shot of him, that kind of thing. So, um, but other than that, you want to start with a, we kind of yeah. hinted at the cover. Let's, uh, yeah. uh, it's a new, uh, I think it's a new logo, isn't it? Yeah, that's a new logo. Fact of the matter is, is that up until this point, wasn't it star brand all one word? I think so. It was just and star brand. Now it's the star brand. Yeah, it was, it was, it, yeah, star brand, all, you know, it, I mean, it separated on the page, but it was all one word, right. I think. Yeah. And um, I'm sitting there, I was like trying to look in one of the old ones to see, you know, how that is represented on the indicia. And this is, I will say this is probably the most, one of the more dynamic. The covers up until oh, it, this point were not that great. The ones well, that. Yeah, no, because they never had Ramita actually doing any of the art for the, the front covers. Right. There was always other artists, and they were you know just usually generic shots. They might have had something to do with the cover, like the second one had him running a nuke down to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, but, but they were, none of them were very... Dynamic. Yeah. Um, no, but it was two words, even yeah, from the very stacked. beginning. It just, it just wasn't the star brand. It wasn't the star brand. I think the, the typeface is a little different, too. Yeah. And that purple just is such a left turn from every because all the other issues had the black border with the white line where it said New Universe up at the top. Mm -hmm. And then this one right here, it still says New Universe up at the top, and that would stop eventually. Um, but it's purple, and it's it's bright, and it's shiny, and it's... Yeah, it does. It would get your that, attention. It would definitely yeah. get your attention if you were uh, seeing this on the... Uh, on the newsstand. On the yeah. newsstand. Well, you know what's funny is I'm right. looking at issue one, and his outfit that he's wearing before he meets the old man is blue and tan. His boots are blue. Yep. There's a line that's not the red that he finds later when the old man leaves it for him. Right. Um, that's interesting. Not hmm. the maroon, which he's kind of wearing on the front cover, but um, yeah. But I mean, it, it's it's not a bad cover. I mean, I kind of like like I said, it is dynamic. It it. it the, the face, get your attention. The face is a little wonky. It and throws his, me off. It, it makes me think of Big Jim or Big Jack <laughs> or Ken. You know, it's Ken that, doll. It's that brown hair. He's never. Yeah, the the hair is so weird because it doesn't look like his hair. Mm -mm. Yeah, and the the colors are a little different on the. Which I don't. Maybe that's mostly black and white, but it looks purple and black or purple yeah. and dark blue. Exactly. Uh, and his torso is a little odd. It just looks. He just looks truncated. One leg looks too short. Yep. Uh, anyway, we go on inside, and there is there is Debbie or Madeline or oh, we're just gonna duck. call her Duck. That name stays. Well, they stay with Duck for this this yeah. issue, and um, I mean, he actually kept the apartment the way that uh, Ramita had done the apartment, so that was good. Um, but yeah, you, you can tell right there from the first page. Wait, this is kind of weird. Mm -hmm. And I, I was just thinking, why is spandex? Why spandex? It looks this like could a... have been the beginning of the pocket realm, but no. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not have the same outfit he wore, which was kind of like a... It looked kind of like the Rocketeer's outfit, the kind of yeah. double-breasted kind of jacket and, just and pants. Put the, put the star brand symbol right there off the off the breast. Just yeah, like just it wear a mask. Uh, you know, wear some kind of a, a 
wear like a cowl instead of a full mask, just wear a cowl. Yeah, because um, I mean the 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 nose. Yeah, the nose nose. Yeah, but I will say this: he was constantly losing his clothes. That's one thing yep. he did. Had some real. He was always burning them off or getting destroyed in something he did. But, he but was, he, what they discover, what he, he should have discovered. What he should have realized is that he can think his clothes to be indestructible. That's what he did with the costume that that supposedly the old man gave him. Um, because he was able to – basically when he wore that, he thought it was indestructible and so it was. was. Because the little kid then tore it. But yeah, all his other did. clothes would get destroyed. <clears throat> so he, he never really thought about his powers enough. He definitely was not the brightest candle. Well, the, he, that's – I thought one thing that Shooter was trying to – uh, explore was how this how a character would deal with uh, kind of unlimited power and him not knowing it's almost like the greatest american hero he's kind of <laughs> figuring it out as it goes he doesn't know right. no instruction it, book right exactly. it shuts off sometimes it doesn't you know okay uh, so back to page one though so we got a splash page she's holding up the costume do you think this is the kind of splash page someone was really eager to buy you know as like like single page art because, you know, if you go to try to buy John Byrne art today, you're going to start off at a minimum $150 for a brand, you know, not not brand new, but for uh, any of the pages that are left over from, say, Generations 3 or uh, the, the Blood of the Demon or whatever. And th- these are pages that are not ones that have big characters or no- well-known characters necessarily in them. You know, you're going to have things like Young Lois Lane and Lana Lang. Mm-hmm. Running around a building, or, well, or the the splash page of his that I bought from Crew, yeah, is it's a it's the it's the shot of them beaming down. So there's nobody you can't see any characters in it, but it's it's what's interesting. It was never inked. It's just his pencils, and it was just scanned in from that. So I thought that's why I thought it was interesting. That's why I bought it. But, oh, yeah, it wasn't particularly uh, uh, cheap, but I bought that when I was in Boston. But uh, I wonder how these would go because if these were on sale, people would. At first, would look at it and go, "Well, that's not that's not uh, yeah." That's not it's 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 a curiosity to me, but I've never seen any of the Star Brand pages available for sale anywhere. I've looked around. I don't know. I don't know why, but unless, I haven't seen. I mean, him. I'm assuming he has half. If, if any, if Palmer any of you listeners have have you know seen him or anywhere, you know, feel free to send us a link or something. I definitely would like to t- take a a look and see you know how much maybe this next you know tax season I might. Uh, Spring for something. Yeah. Got to get burned at gmail.com. That's our email address. It may be, uh, as you said, it, it's they're not interested in it because it doesn't look like burn. Yeah. But now looking at the rest of the page, though, the use of Zipatone up on the ceiling and on the wall there with the shade coming in, you know, the, the bicycle and it, it, even ducks and the costume shadow and all that. Everything on here is really, really professional and yet missing something. Well, it, as we said earlier, it, it's laid out the way if burn was yeah. going to draw this this is i mean the way ken's sitting on the couch in the upper page and the next page over that i mean i've seen superman kind of sit that way it looks a lot like the the shot of when he flies back home in issue four or five of man of steel and his mother finds him upstairs and he's like you know they all wanted a piece of me that's yeah that's what i see is that so i mean it's definitely burns layouts and his yep i do have a nitpick oh the okay so we see this shade from the motorcycle, right? Mm-hmm. You see the shade from the, 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 the table and chairs. You see the shade from duck. So the light's coming from outside, right? Right. Why are the lines on the door not causing a shadow? Because he didn't the, the, drum? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I'm going to shut up now. 
But, no, but no, even the zipatone on the on the coffee uh, urn there on the table. Yeah, that I means... mean, definite delicate touch in, in in the work that 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 Palmer did in following up on that. I really I really find that interesting. And in the design on the um, the wall there between the the sliding door and the and the and the mm-hmm. other wall. And you know, it took a lot of thought and a lot of effort to do all that. I'd love to see what these look like before he inked them, just to yeah. see how rough they are. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of jumps right in with with uh, with uh, you know the, the main point of this, which is does he go public? You know, is it becoming more? I think this issue feels more like a six one six Marvel book than the New Universe stuff because it starts to. One, it's it's very much written the way Byrne writes his stuff, right? Uh, and it's not written the way uh, it's not written the way Shooter is writing him. Which uh, not only was it written from Ken's point of view, instead of coming to ha- kind of having a third party, you know, a third. Uh, <clears throat> this is a three-camera TV show, right. one-camera TV show. Right. Sorry, you're just following Ken. So if, you know, if Ken's, if you either see Ken experience it or he's retelling it, you don't see anything outside of what Ken can observe or experience so okay i'm looking on on the second page and as he's sitting there on the couch in the top panel his right arm looks kind of funky i mean i i i'm i think it's supposed to be just the musculature but it wasn't translated and he's got right he's got him drawn a little more uh muscular than the way ramita was drawing him Uh, well ramita was drawing the clothes just laying upon him as they would naturally where burn is drawing them tight yeah. And yeah, and, and almost yeah, in a very superhero fashion. Yeah. So it's yeah. hard to get away from it. Again, this is as much Tom Palmer on the inks as it is um, Burn Burn doing that. So I mean, it probably is Palmer. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's, it's the way he's doing it. And that uh, I'm not crazy about that hairstyle that Duck's got, but they kind of kept yeah. that throughout the. Well, it actually, it changed in a couple of issues. She she had changed it, and Burn went back to it, or Burn and Palmer went back to it. For this to keep the character consistent so people remember <laughs> who yeah. she was. Well, I'll say that she is written a little better because up until this, she was written uh, a little pathetic. That for sure. But they, yeah. they kind of made her kind of, uh, well, I don't want to say stupid, but she was, they, I mean, and, he, and he mentions that himself. Ken yeah. was like, oh, I never thought, I thought she was kind of stupid. Uh, and he's having, you know, he's, he's, he's not a you call him a flawed character he's not a, a really a nice guy he's basically cheating on his then girlfriend yeah with her with with right. debbie and she seems okay with it and he just seemed to be having kind of a casual affair with it she comes over you know they you know but do he, their... he even had other casual affair he just walked off the beach one day up with one yeah. woman you know yeah. It, it yeah and, he, and he, he's and he's got he kind of puts the moves on the the babysitter Mm-hmm. At one point, so uh, I don't know if that's just to make him seem more realistic or just make him, you know, make him a more complex character. But it's kind of hard to root for him when he's, you know, he's not treating Debbie very well because he's kind of, in a way, kind of using her, and he's not knowing that the how she feels about him, and he's he's not doing any favors with. Um, I, I I think you forgot what it was like to be a, a, a fifteen to twenty seven year old. <laughs> well. And the thing is, like any time a woman walked into the room, you're sizing her up and looking at yeah. her. Oh my gosh, you know, yeah. wow, she's gorgeous, or you know, or whatever. Yeah, and, and, and Myron points that out. I don't know if that's Burn taking a shot at 
shooter like well look what you've done with this character you've had him for you know six or seven issues and you've, he's basically trying to get women with his powers but and he even we, d- we don't know what the arc was going to be no we don't i don't know if he was gonna because he he was just uh, and, and it, this is the thing is that like in that one in that seventh issue when the old man comes back and connell has to face him down he's, he has that moment with the the pit bull mm-hmm. and that 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 kind of galvanizes his thoughts on that and where he accepts the fact that debbie may have to die but he's got to stop the old man it's for the whole world Mm -hmm. because the old man to him was nothing more than a rabid dog needing to be put down yeah and so i i can see that that he was trying he was going to take ken connell on an arc where he was going to mature and turn into something else but we didn't get to see that. We just got to see, and 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 it took an even further turn, not in this issue, but the next issue, when Debbie tells him that she's pregnant. Right, and, that, and then that's a- and that 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 was where he he just you know kind of took him off the rails a little too far. Right, because that whole scene is is he just kind of callously says, "Well, why are you telling me? Why don't you tell the father?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, you are the father, low, dummy. Low blow, Debbie. Low <laughs> yeah. blow. Yeah, yeah. How dare you? How dare you try to trap me by? Yeah, getting yourself pregnant and telling me that you're the father of it. So that's... Yeah. And maybe, now, you know, maybe that was to help ease people into a war. Well, I'm fixing to get rid of this character anyway, but... Yeah, I so, mean, it's, it's so weird. I, I, I'm wondering if at this point they realized just how far they were, it was going to be before the, everything ended. Did they have... Did they just go ahead and map it out and say we're going to end it at issue 19? And I don't know. All the, I mean, others ran... Uh, the ones that ran into full course ran 32 issues, so I don't know why. Wow. Yeah. Um, but now this this in this we're still on page two. But the bottom right panel is the first panel that looked to me like burn. It really looked like a burn panel. The one I where mean, they're that, both that, in the living room. The one where he says, "Lend me fifty bucks, would you?" Oh, I mean that that one right there. I was like, okay, yeah, I can I can see it there. You can see a little and bit it, of maybe it. Maybe it's just, just the way the panel itself is structured. I mean, now you're looking at the whole book and you realize, yeah, okay, all this is what he put together, and I I recognize that. You know, all these years later, but back then when I was looking at it, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I think I can see it there. And then, of course, the next page, the flying stuff. Um, that's that's yeah, the, the not not flying in a kind of a what you think of as a uh, he's flying kind of standing up. And I, that's well, that that was something that Ramita did in, in issue two when mm-hmm. he was going out to the the the, the, the ship that had been hijacked. But you know, the thing is, the first when he goes off of his porch and you see the swooping action behind him, that's a very burn esque. Mm-hmm. Uh, flying thing, and of course the, the the coming in down to Myron's house. Um, that also, you know, the, the, just the the angle and the way, you know, the way that, that he's flying in. That's something that yeah, I I can see burn drawing, and yet still it doesn't look like a burn drawing. No, like I said all the figure placement looked like burn. It's just the, yeah, it's the yep. the character design and the refinement, the facial expressions. That's what um, the. When he, uh, well, the, the page where he's flying over to see Myron, and then he, he kind of comes in, and Myron kind of lays into him. That bottom right panel, where Myron's kind of looking up at him and telling him that Ken's face looks a little burned there. Yeah. Well, he's got his mouth. That looks like a burn expression. But the rest, like the one to the left of that, where he calls him a loser. Yep. <laughs> no, that doesn't look like. Burn. <laughs> that no, does, it's not no burn you're right. All. You're right. Now, do you think this? This conversation from Myron was timed right. I mean, do you think this is what Myron would have done? I mean, I, I don't think this is what Myron would have done this early uh, under Shooter. No. That it would have been coaxed a lot more slowly along. Well, right. And it, there are, that's what I said. With this, this issue, you get, a, you get some characters that are kind of making a, a 180. 
But we find out later in this next issue that Myron and Debbie kind of cooked this up, or, or at least he got the idea. Because at the end of this, when he says, you're saying the same thing Debbie would say, and, and Myron's like thinking to himself, I, exactly. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, so they're kind of they're kind of manipulating him to push him you know, into being what they think he should be. And I, the, that's another thing. I wonder if um, if if Stuart, um, Stuart, if Shooter had stayed on the book, would he have become the kind of superhero that he's trying to become in this, or would he, or that come much later uh, in the series, and he would still be struggling with, you know, do I? I don't think there would have ever been a costume. You don't think so? He just wear that 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 outfit maybe, he's got. Maybe maybe that outfit. Maybe yeah. something else. Maybe just the all black like he did when he went to uh, uh, Qaddafi. You know, mm-hmm. go after Qaddafi. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I, I don't think that he ever would have done the the superhero spandex thing at all. Well, and he didn't have. I mean, at this point, he didn't have other than the old man who I thought popped up too often. He didn't have a, a nemesis. He you know, he no. was trying to solve real world problems and mm-hmm. i don't know i mean he did have a little run-in with uh earlier in the, in the series he had a run-in with the spitfire crew but that was running a crossover yeah now who was who was mr lovejoy or scrunch and then they weren't from spitfire they were from something else weren't they they i don't think they were from spitfire i don't i haven't read spitfire in so long i, I can't remember um i remember reading that issue but it was just about him again trying to figure out and I, I will say this, Shooter was, again, it was kind of realistic of, okay, he was trying to save a little girl. How am I going to save a yeah. little girl? Can I, can I do this? Can I do that? I'm going to try to dig down. That's oh, go down working. into the well. That's yeah. not working. And that's, I think that's how would, you wouldn't know. I mean, you've got that kind of strength. What do you do? Do I yeah, burrow into the earth? Little, how do, what do I do? enough there for Sting to write a song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm... I'm I'm parodying a Simpsons episode, but it, again, we're talking about the older issues. And if you haven't yeah. read them, I mean, they're definitely worth a read. Um, the first seven issues, you can skip the the ones that follow that, though. I think ten still worth a read. Because um, they don't but, build on the story, not really. Yeah, no. In in the annual, um, also, I I don't even remember the annual. I think it was a uh, parable on the short happy life of Francis McComber. Yeah, it's not. I don't think it has anything to do with it. Now, I think these are collected, and they collect from Burn on is one collection, mm-hmm. and up to Burn, I think, is a collection. Maybe with the annual, I don't know which where it, where it falls. Yeah. Um, if you want to buy the trade paperbacks, but uh, but you think this is you know this is uh, Myron is kind of doing the opposite of the way he has been up until. Up until now, because he has been kind of his conscience, he's been kind of he's giving him some guidance. He's kind of been trying to help him out. Uh, and then in this one, they're the they're the first thing they do is to push him to be well. You, you know, you got to be a superhero when he's and he's kind of you know because Myron is a is he a psychologist or a sociologist? He's a I don't see him prescribing drugs. He's a so he's a he's like a therapist. Yeah, he's like a therapist or something. Yeah, yeah, and he's like been, a therapist. He's been trying to get Ken to come to some meetings and stuff, so he is trying to. Uh, it's it's kind of a, a a tough love kind of situation where he's trying to, you know, trying to goad him into. Well, this is uh, this is how you need to uh, approach this, and a lot of it, I think, it is just a, a excuse to you get three pages of a rehash of the this, you know. And I will say this up. This is issue eleven. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of rehashing throughout this whole series. They, this origin gets retold a lot, whether he's telling it to Myron or he's telling it to uh, Duck or he's telling it to. You don't think he ever tells Debbie. There's a lot of um, 
uh, flashback throughout yeah. this whole series. But it's always introspective thought, typically, not like this. Right, and he's, and he's kind of telling it, like in this way, he's telling it to kind of talk out loud and trying to... Uh, and one time he typed it out on a typewriter. Yeah, figure it out himself. Uh, and I think that's Byrne trying to figure it out. No, that was that was Shooter. Oh. That had him type it out on the typewriter. Well, you, might, something... you, might, you might have a journal. You might keep a journal. You might... Uh... Well, you, you know, it, it's so funny because I, I think back to those days in, uh, when I was in my early 20s. And when I was in college, and there were all these guys that had just gotten out of the Air Force or out of the Army, and they're going to college on the GI Bill. And every one of them is doing this. Every one of them is is keeping a journal about the, the things they want. And they had things like the ICANs, where they would have a can, they'd put money into it. And uh, you know, every time that they thought to themselves that they couldn't do something, they had to put it in there because they had to put it in the I can. Mm, wow. You know, and, and and it was all self improvement, you know, stuff that that you do. And it's, it, it it definitely made me think about him when I saw those guys and those guys when I you know read about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it, it's funny. It's funny, but again, you know, I'll be honest. There are things I saw in him in those early ones that reminded me of who I was. Back then, when yeah. I was younger, I, 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 I definitely I didn't can't see, say I wasn't like that. Right, I didn't. I don't think I definitely did not see the, the the negativity of his character when I was reading this the first time. Yeah, it was more uh, the the Peter Parker. Oh, he's he's you know he's trying to juggle. You know, well, I've got this identity. I can't tell people. I've got to worry about you know these aliens are coming. So it was that it was that struggle of trying to balance. Yeah, but but you also sit there and you go, you you didn't like the fact that he was sitting there cheating on the girl, but at the same time you're like, man, this guy gets women. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I picked up on the fact that he was cheating so much because they do. He he almost spent more time with Debbie than he or um, than with a uh, uh, Barb Barbara Barb Barb yeah Barb. You know, uh, and he kind of he was always brushing her off. You know, he was always uh, ditching her until she's man, she's just out of the book, but. And then, of course, spoilers, Debbie gets out of the book pretty quick, too. <laughs> oh, man. So, again, you know, this uh, page of his talking to Myron about that is all zip and face shots. And this is something that was really popular with Byrne back in that in that era when he was on Superman and other things. He would do these, um, uh, you know, the, the, the Basil Exposition or whatever you want mm-hmm. to call him. <laughs> Captain Exposition, or you know, they would sit there and it'd just be the floating heads on the page or whatever. It's funny because that panel, um, the the middle panel and the panel second from the bottom, look more like a Frank Miller Klaus Jansen shot to me than it does look like, um, you know, Burn Palmer. Talking about the explosion? No, no, I'm talking on the page where Myron and and Connell are sitting on the couch talking. Oh, yeah, and um. I, like I said, it, look, it looks like Frank Miller, Klaus Jansen, almost like like the, like the Daredevil pages that they did way back when. Yeah, man, Myron's, it, uh, apart- uh, Myron's apartment is well. They've established that he's kind of a pack rat, but his apartment looks like it's all beat up. Yeah, it's a, he's a junker. He's yeah. he's. It, I mean, he doesn't let anything go. Ugh, I wouldn't go to a party at his place. <laughs> and I mean, even Ken is getting drinks out of a cooler. But, I mean, again, these pages, you know, while they've got a lot of you know, exposition, they're not particularly dynamic or interesting because it's just two guys talking. Yeah, and, it should, and you've seen this at least a couple times over. Um, yeah. And, I, will, um, I will say the, the bottom of – I'm reading my digital, so I don't know what pages they are, but it's the bottom right where uh, part of the – the, well, they're just coming out of the flashback. And Myron says, but that's not all, is it? He says, no, you're, you're too sharp. 
that's a burn face. Look at Ken's face. That's a burn yeah. Uh, yeah. facial expression. So, um, so burn slips in here once in a while. You see him kind of uh, uh, poke his head in, and then the next page that, after that is pretty heavy. Yeah, that's really, page six. So yeah, that's that, six. That, yeah, page seven is the one I was talking about where it had the Miller Jansen kind of look to it in some of the panels. Oh, okay. And um, but yeah, and, and again, you know, it's framed like Burn frames the exposition pages, mm-hmm. you know, showing the the face from different angles and whatnot. But all you're getting is the floating head for the most part. And then the next page on page eight is, you know, it's showing different angles and such. But it's really just two guys putzing around in a uh, in Myron's home. And like I said, Ken pulling a drink out of a cooler. Mm-hmm. It's full, at least. <laughs> I don't see any ice in there, so it's probably not cold. Well, maybe he doesn't have any like. Well, he's got no. He's got electricity, but yeah, um, that's a big house, though. Well, you yeah, the bottom the, the, panel. It is a huge house, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he's not making money off something he's doing. But uh, I mean, this goes on for a couple pages, and finally, Ken decides it's time to leave, and. You know, that's when he gives that line, who'd ever expected Debbie Fix and Myron Fil- you know, Philman to be on running on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. It's like finding out Albert Einstein and Marilyn Monroe belonged to the same chapter of Mensa. They probably did. <laughs> she wasn't well, a dummy. What do you think, uh, if Byrne knew, okay, Byrne takes over, he knows he's going to kind of ditch Ken. He doesn't, he's not interested in exploring Ken. He wants to kind of get take him off the board and, and play with some of the other characters. He goes through this whole five or six pages of all this introspective by Ken trying to figure out, you know, you know, why have I been doing what I'm doing? And Myron kind of being the arm, you know, this, this he's psychoanalyzing him, saying, "Well, this is why because your ego, you're, you know, you're, you're, uh, you want to be, you surround yourself with people that are are lesser than you, so you can feel more important instead of you not living up to your potential, knowing that he's gonna." Knowing what's going to happen, and then of course this is the first half of this book. The second half is him putting his superhero suit on, mm-hmm. trying to be a superhero, and then we go when we go the next issue, all that's kind of undone, and he decides that I want to when he when he finds the truth about what's going on, he wants to get rid of his power. So this is a weird. I don't know. I just kind of wonder why you think he did all this to set up Ken if he's not going to pursue this. Well, I mean, the thing is, is like while this story. Um it breaks away from Ken Connell. This first issue, while a departure, is still as close to the first seven issues as any of them are. And so this is your transition mm-hmm. from, okay, so we've had this story going on. It's kind of a superhero science fiction story. Now we're just going to go off to science fiction for a while. Yeah, it, it becomes high concept after this. It definitely yeah. is more, much more... Uh, that's Burns writing, you know, his style all over instead of just a guy that's got the powers and how do I deal with him? It's uh, becomes much more um, yep. epic, grandiose, you know, bigger ideas. So uh, I just kind of carry curious, knowing what he, maybe he had to do this to kind of did he do this to get Ken into a place where he thought he would make those decisions where he would get rid of the power because maybe he had to be the superhero and find out it didn't work. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious uh, yeah. as to how a, a writer thinks. Of putting, because you would think your first instinct would think would be, well, I'm I'm not interested in this guy. I'm, I'm get rid of him as quick as I can. But Byrne does, but he also takes the time to kind of okay. But think about it for him. a moment. Think think about this for just a moment. All right, Debbie tells him you ought to become a superhero, and he's like, okay, yeah, all right, Debbie, that's fine, because he's not thinking that she's too bright. Mm. Then he goes to Myron, and Myron tells him, you know, 
you're being stupid, you're being all this stuff because you think you're better than everybody else, you know, maybe you should be a superhero. And all that tickles, you know, Ken Ken's ego, even though Ken is sitting there trying to say it's not tickling my ego. Mm. And the idea of becoming a superhero, of everybody looking at him like, look, it's Superman or whatever, you know, that kind of, you know, gets him. And, and, and so when he goes back and sees Duck, of course, this is when she does a little foreshadowing moment where she's been throwing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has to show off to her. Look, at he's sitting there and he's got his arms full, he's got his foot up against the door, and he's just like, "Yep, I'm going to be a real life superhero." This is this is you know he's you know still the man child, but, yeah, but he, he and he's been thinks, manipulated, right? Right, exactly. And he probably thinks it's that simple that uh, now I just got to put a costume on and I can be the superhero. But um. and when you see him first in that costume with the mask on, tearing the the the, the top of the the plane off. Aren't you just sitting there thinking, I mean, back then I was even thinking, man, that is so wrong. That's not how he should have done it. Well, I was thinking, why are you tearing up the plane? You know, yeah. if you're, uh, 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 he, he does take a typical, what you would think as a typical superhero approach. Like, well, I'm super he, strong, so I'm going to use brute force instead of. Right. He did a non-comic book reader's version of what a superhero would do. Like, like if, you know, like, like when they made a, a superhero movie in the 70s. You know, how it was done is different than how they would do it today. And, you know, Ken Connell is not a guy that read comic books. Mm. He was, you know, he played on the football team. He got the cheerleader. All right. And so when he goes and does this, he's a meathead. (laughs) (laughs) But he was fortunate enough that he was able to do that without a loss of life. You know, he comes in. Tears the top of the 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 plane off as a as they said like the opening uh, a sardine can. And you don't see actually you don't see the how he rescued him. Did he jump? right? You know he, apparently he did disarm him because he says he presents the reporter says he presents. He had bullet holes the, in his costume. And yeah, he presented the the bent barrels of all the Uzis or whatever they were. Um, it would have been Uzis at that time. At that time uh, in the eighties would have been Uzis. Um, you know because that's their discussion about well this looks like this could be fake. You know somebody could know how to do this. You know, is it a hoax? You know, and of course she's like, no, no, that's that's all the bullet holes. I think it's it's that's all genuine. Yeah, um, and she she's sitting there and go, Bob, I was there when Starbrand dropped out of the sky. Yeah. I saw no wires, <laughs> and the tightness of his costume eliminates any kind of hidden flying belt. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, I was also there when he turned his, turned his prisoners over to the police. There were still smoldering bullet holes in his costume, but not on him. So he apparently dropped in. They shot him up. He He's bulletproof, and then he grabbed all the guns and, and rounded them up. Yeah, fortunately, no nobody got injured. Nobody that's, else got that's hit. That's the problem, you know, did, you know. Did he? Uh, he didn't. Uh, they didn't have any ricochets. Yeah, but Starbrand also presented the police with half a dozen Uzi machine pistols, all bent into steel pretzels. <laughs> and before you say that could have been fake too, Starbrand uncrunched one of the Uzis. <laughs> well, it'd be, it's funny that it'd be so much easier to fake this now. Uh, yeah, as opposed to uh, uh, back then, but but now now we're coming to what were my favorite panels of the book. If you if you get to page uh, fourteen, mm-hmm. that's flying when to he, the moon. Where he's flying to the moon. Yeah, um, that's nice. I, I ask you this real quick. Why do you think it's important to him that they believe him? Because I mean, he, he wants the adulation, right? So you know, he, he's not just do, he's not being very uh, altruistic altru- about it, right? No. He's not. No, it's still about ego, and yeah. and that's the thing, you know. I mean, you know, he he Duck gave him the bit, and he was like, nah, 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 that that's not right because it came from Duck. 
as soon as Myron gave it to him. Myron's smart. Yep. And you know, okay, well then that's this is the right thing to do. I can do it. You know, it, it alleviates him of of it just being his ego. Apparently, you know, because he's doing something right by Myron, you know, that makes it okay. Well, and and, and unlike uh, a Spider-Man or a, a Batman or a you know, Batman so much, but he hung, he hung around and, and handed you know, Spider-Man would go in there, web the guys up, and then be gone. Right. And, Take off. Right. This guy hung around. Handed the, you know, handed the guns over, handed the cops over, demonstrated that showed off a little bit when he bent the gun back, and then goes back. And so now he's, uh, you know, he's he's uh, heading to the moon, which that's a that's a great shot. One of him flying, and I love the zip tone. It's on the moon. That's yeah, a, that's a beautiful panel. And there's a lot of uh, there's actually and a lot then, of zip tone. This is actually well, very well, well done. Yeah, I mean, the the fly over the moon, the the back perspective on the Earth. And everything are, are actually pretty cool. And you know, the thing is, I also get that sense of silence that you would get on the moon. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's sitting there thinking about all this stuff, but you know that you're not hearing anything. Right. The, the, it is dead silent. Of course, all I was thinking was, well, he's tracking up where Armstrong. You know, yeah. Tracking, he's <laughs> desecrating his footsteps, and he's like, well, yeah, that's a, just a piece of stuff they left behind, equipment. But you know, it's kind of. That's kind of a memorial there. Now he's yeah, just well, taking it. <laughs> well, here's the here's the thing: is that when uh, when they took off, they knocked the flag down. The flag's not standing, if I if I remember right, unless one of the later astronauts went went back there. But I thought they all landed too far away from the sea. I don't think they ever landed. Well, that's when General Zod and came back. And <laughs> had an emote, he stood it back up. Okay. <laughs> no, no, that was Superman four. Sadly. <laughs> oh. uh... No, Superman two. They landed on the Earth. The Superman two. They they landed on the uh, Moon first. Remember? Right, right. But that 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 was a different landing site. Oh, that's and right. Superman four. When Superman winds up on the Moon to fight the the nuclear man, nuclear man. That's where he goes and straightens the flag. I thought he should have brought some, maybe some Moon rocks. I don't know. That's just me being. Don't take their stuff. You know. <laughs> yeah, and all superheroes should have backpacks. Well, yeah, he didn't probably didn't have pockets, but uh, no, no pockets, no belt, no nothing. I mean, it's a spandex outfit. This and that's why spandex outfits are stupid. <laughs> I mean, in comic books, we're told superheroes wear spandex outfits because they allow maximum flexibility. But the fact of the matter is, they wear the 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 tight outfits because it make allows them to draw naked people and then put extra lines on it to make it look like the costume. That, well, it's that's just easier. It. Yeah, it's just easier to draw a naked body than it is to draw clothing and stuff. So right, um, uh, the clothing, the draping, and everything. Yeah, and and so you know, if someone were to actually make a superhero costume, it would be more like Batman and Batman '89, something bulletproof but mm-hmm. flexible. Maybe you'd still get something where you could turn your head, um, but you'd also have a lot of pockets and and, and places to pull stuff out of. No capes. <laughs> Well, I, uh, this is also when he when he's bringing the uh, the lander back, and 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 Byrne does you know does do this a little bit to try to explain that it wasn't meant to go back to reentry, so he had to come in slower, yeah. I guess. Uh, they brought this up several other times in, uh, in earlier in the series that true to life, when he's flying, he doesn't know how to find his way around. You know, you're up if you're a couple miles up, how do you know where you're yeah. going? So here he's just following the eastern seaboard until he sees Washington. You know, that's how it would be. You don't know. Uh, in the comics and the movies, people that are, that are flyers, they just seem to know exactly where they're going. I don't think that that thing would have made it down, though. Not the way he was flying. I don't, I don't care how slow he was going. I don't know if it was... That thing's probably super rigid. I mean, super flimsy, but um, he could bring home parts of it. Yeah. 
I never noticed when I was watching this when when the guys are rushing in mm-hmm. like, and it says Mr. President. Is that supposed to be Clint Eastwood? Yeah, that's 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 Clint I, Eastwood from uh, Line of Fire. I, no, no, Line of Fire was in ninety two. But well, then what else? Or that... ninety or ninety six because it, it. Yeah, but I mean it was ninety three. That's right because it was uh, sixty three and all that. But uh, I mean it basically just d- doing Dirty Harry Callahan is yeah. what, they're, what they're, they yeah. put him in there as. Yeah, it looks a little bit like Nicholson on the left hand where you see Reagan, but on the right that's obviously Clint Eastwood. And I wonder if Byrne drew that. And Palmer knew it, or Palmer just decided I'm gonna draw it like uh, Eastwood, or maybe Byrne had a note: "Hey, draw this guy look like Eastwood." Um, I mean, if you're gonna put one actor in there, why not? Yeah, why not? I mean, it, it's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. Uh, and this is another uh-huh. thing. You know, this is obviously dealing with real life. Um, I mean, occasionally you would see that in other comics; they would have the actual president. Yeah. Uh, but in this one, they're keeping with actually who was, and I guess if it kept running when Clinton got elected, he would have been. Well, wasn't um, Reagan or, uh, like the Teflon president in actuality in the new universe? And didn't he get discovered as being someone with superpowers? In the in actual, oh, I don't, I don't remember. In the, that. In the new universe, yeah. He, I mean, it, it was a joke because right around the time all this was going on, you had the Iran Contra affair mm-hmm. and all that, and they were calling Reagan the Teflon president in the regular press and somebody in the new universe ran with that. And I don't remember which book it was, but you know, Reagan actually, someone tried to kill him in public and then they discovered all these superpowers. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this was, this being 88 is going to be at the end of his reign anyway. uh, Right. Right. Cause the, the next guy that comes in is the one that, um, one of the other groups, DP seven, I think is fighting against. And it's kind of like, um, uh, a play on Burns' Next Men. Oh. And Dr. Satanus, or, yeah. I might have to reread my DP7s. I haven't read those in, in ages. Yeah. I think I've got those digital. But, yeah, so, you know, he goes and brings that, uh, the landing module there to the White House, and somehow that makes him all great with the president. I guess. He's like, oh, you really are, uh, you know, you stole our property and brought it back from the moon, but I guess you really... Yeah, like, and they, then, can, they can stick in the Smithsonian. Yeah, and then on page nineteen, you got an anorexic Wonder Man right there standing in front of the Marvel offices. Do you notice that? Yeah, uh, it, it looks like Wonder Man in his safari jacket, but he's lost a, a good hair. bit of muscle. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, three eighty seven Park Avenue is where they had uh, the Marvel. It's funny, I, I actually had a map of New York City, um, and I'd marked up all the different places, and it was really funny because six 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 Columbia Avenue is the home was back then was the home of uh, DC comics. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is on the Marvel map from Ohatmu, 666 Columbia Avenue is where the, the Wilson Fisk's offices were. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, again, uh, here on page 11, we're seeing the, the offices of Marvel comics and uh, John Byrne, a uh, season John Byrne, who doesn't have the curly hair that we saw in his previous, uh, Appearances in X Men and kind of Fantastic a, Four. A buzzed haircut, but yeah, he's seen later. He's got a crew cut going. Well, uh, when he goes to do Hulk, they did some Fumetti uh, funnies mm-hmm. in, in in the first issue, I think three fourteen, where they've got a picture of him and the editor and somebody else and the Hulk talking about what Byrne wants to do, and then and the, the Hulk, Hulk gets into a fight with him, beats all of them up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that was kind of funny, but so that's where you got to see a picture of Burma with his hair like that. So he, he kept that look for a little while. What's funny is that the picture of Mackie, uh, looks like it does when 
in my uh, my big Marvel book that I take to conventions and have people sign. And he was uh, he was here a couple years ago when I got him to sign. Uh, he was he was uh, doing uh, Ghost Rider stuff. And so mm-hmm. I, because in the back of that book, there's a little how a comic's made, and it it shows Textera kind of making a book and him talking with Howard Mackey, mm-hmm. uh, who was editor on it and the writer. So I got him to sign it, and he turned, and I can't remember who was sitting next to him, but he turns to him because he goes, "Hey, look, it's back when I had hair," because <laughs> the picture was back, you know, from this era. Thought that was kind of funny. But. Okay, so if I if I get this right, Howard Mackey's the one behind the desk. He's the one, the white shirt with the red red and black tie. Yeah, and then uh, Mark Grunewald is the one sitting on the desk all relaxed like, and then Mike Higgins is the guy that comes in in the wearing flash the, shirt. Wearing the DC shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking a little bit, actually, he looks, with that shirt on, he looks a little bit like Doc Samson, doesn't he? That hair. Uh, actually, he looks like the guy, well, not the face. The face is Alfred E. Newman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the hair and shirt makes me think of the guy that played Billy Batson in the old Shazam oh, TV yeah. series. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. And I didn't realize that Higgins is, was in the issue where uh, is it the trial of Reed Richards where Byrne draws himself? He was assistant editor, wasn't he? Yeah. Cause, so uh, he's the one that he was on the phone with. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. So he's drawn yeah. in there. He doesn't have the long hair, but he's drawn in that one too. Yeah. And I thought this was an interesting, I don't know what this aside. was. Yeah, it's an it was aside. Just, yeah. It's, it's, it's very much like the stuff um, that Lee would write in that Kirby would draw when they were, you know, talking about, you know, they'd show the Marvel offices and they were talking about stuff. So um, I thought it was just an interesting, especially leading into it because this is picked up on later. In the next issue, when they're at a con, yeah, like, so it's the next con. page. Yeah, yeah, that, next... <laughs> and I don't remember these two characters showing up in the previous issues, had they? Okay, Bob did in I think issue two or three. Ken goes to talk to Myron. Bob is having a session with Myron. Oh, that's right. He said he thought he heard. His, yeah, he thought he. Yeah, thought yeah he, he was the guy that was hanging outside the door. Right. So he heard what was going on. So therefore, he's the one that knows that Ken is the Star Brand now. Cassie, whoever she is, now she's a brand new character. But of course, this little subplot, we know where it goes. It goes absolutely nowhere. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, One issue and then fizzle. I mean, that's what's so it's funny. I mean, it kind of makes a good, I mean, not as big a cliffhanger as, as for Debbie, but it makes you think that something is happening. And, and it's like, why tie up these loose ends? I mean, is that really th- somebody? Maybe it's something that bug burns. Like, well, uh, and they are, you know, spoilers, they are vaporized in the next issue, you know, trying to go to the con. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I mean, uh, to me, I thought it was interesting because I'm like, oh, OK, I remember this guy and yeah. I remember that. And so so this is wow. You know, what's going to happen? I mean, it, again, you know, real world, nobody's going to be able to keep secret identities. I think that's what makes uh, the Marvel, the MCU so much better is that you don't see the secret identities really, except for, you know, Peter Parker. Right. I mean, everybody else is pretty much, you know, they are who they are, and you might see them on camera, but you don't know who that is, you know? So it's it's getting, you know, they don't necessarily get identified so easily. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Tony Stark would put in some sort of, you know, fight the, the camera recognition software kind of thing. He'd have some kind of image inducer that's always... Yeah, it's something <laughs> that, that protects everybody. I mean, you know, we're, we're in a day and an age right now where, you know, if, if Clark Kent were to have a Facebook profile, he'd be screwed. Mm-hmm. Because it'd be like, Superman! Or, or like uh, somebody gets a picture of Superman. Clark Kent! <laughs> well, I think it would be... Do you want to tag Clark Kent? <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, you know, it goes through and it picks up all your photos... And it says, who is this? It'd pick up Superman. Is this Clark? Uh, uh, I think it'd be closer to how the the MCU is. There really are no 
secret identities in the MCU, other than Spider-Man and his... Not anymore. Not, well, yeah, spoilers for that, but... Um, you know, it's funny, thinking about how that happened and then what's going on with Marvel and Sony. I'm wondering if they did that to just kind of give Sony a black eye. Could be. Well, Sony can always write that. I mean, they can always... I mean, they can do something with it. Uh, hope. I hope. And... and but right. I, I, I would rather they worked it out and worked together. I, and, it, so. and, they, and they still could. I mean, I, I the only the only positive I see coming out of it is maybe Spider-Man will become a little more street level because I don't like how involved he is with uh, Stark and all the, the 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 big tech. Spider-Man's best when he's just your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. You know, beating up the guy trying to rob the bank, or he's, you know, occasionally a supervillain comes along. I don't like him dealing too big with uh, bigger world issues, you know, so... Yeah, but, I mean, the thing is, it's like James Bond. You know, every movie has to be bigger, badder. Yeah. More explosions, more all that. And, and but I think, I, I mean, I see where you're going, though. Maybe the next movie should start off with him fighting a lot of little guys mm-hmm. and then ultimately it leading up to, what, Sinister Six or, you know... Yeah, maybe they'll finally get that 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 uh, story. Well, actually, think about Ant Man, the last Ant Man movie, Ant Man Wasp. That had very small stakes. It was very mm-hmm. ground level. It was just dealing with them. Yep. And it was still felt like a a fun uh, adventure kind of a movie. And that's I think where where I went to my Spider Man. I mean, right. They, they, you know, he's been but, gone from New York too but, long. Bring him back to New York. But Sony doesn't understand that. I mean, yeah. they, okay, they made Into the Spider-Verse, and look, I mean, that blew up. That went big. But at the same time, that wasn't a small world that Spider-Man was in. That was a huge, huge multiverse. And it was animated. And it was animated. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is, people are always going to say, this is the proof that Sony can do Spider-Man right. And that's maybe an animation, but yeah, I don't sure know live action. I'm sure that's what they're thinking. Oh, we get Spider-Man. I understand it. We're going to, uh, you know, I know how to do it now. And... Uh, they may, you know, they may surprise us all. You know, they may fall back on just doing more of the of the uh, Miles Morales stories. I don't want that. No, I want, I want Peter I want, Parker. I want Peter Parker. I agree. I want. I, I love Tom Holland as Peter Parker. Yeah. Um. So, but we're not talking anyway, about. We're not talking. This is not a Spider-Man well, podcast. I mean, the thing is, the fact of the matter is, is we're on the last page now, which is basically a whole page to tell us that Debbie Fix is pregnant. Is pregnant. And, you know, the shot in, of uh, Pittsburgh and the uh, thing that says, farewell, Pittsburgh. It should yep. have let us know what was going to happen. Uh, you know, but yeah, having gone through this, you know, it's like now, you know, this is such a mundane issue. <laughs> you know, sitting there looking at it after all these years. You know, I never sit there and, and put it into words like that because I, I just didn't think about it. But breaking it down panel by panel like we do or page by uh-huh. page in this case yeah, this is such a mundane issue because all it is is recap, exposition, and a couple moments. I mean, the moon the moon section was the best piece of it. Mm-hmm, I agree. Uh, but, you know, of course, now you sit there and you look at that whole section. I, and, and it's funny because I, I can tell you that the line, the winds up here are buffeting me pretty bad, is something I've actually used myself. <laughs> And not with anybody else. It's just a thought that comes into my head when the winds, you know, hit the car as you're sitting there driving. You get hit by a big wind gust that that actually affects your driving. And you sit there and you think the winds up here buffeting me pretty badly. (laughs) 
It's like the old Craven line, I must drink this potion before the formula loses its potency. <laughs> and I think of that whenever I take Alka-Seltzer or an Airborne, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, that's one, of those, that's one of those lines that I always hear in my head uh, when that happens for some reason. Yeah. Well, I agree. I think it is kind of a, it's a ho-hum kind of story. It's, it's uh, what it makes you, you read it and it makes you want to, well, okay, we get that out of the way. Now let's, you know, let's, yeah, let's get on, let's get let's on get with to what's the going action. on. Yeah. And it does, it gets, it gets kind of crazy going from here on. It gets kind of crazy to the end. Um, okay. Now uh, let's talk about the next couple issues, if, if you don't mind, because I, I don't no. think we're going to have any other platform to cover them. But the introduction of Jacob Burnley, who basically is Wilford Brimley and John Byrne put together, <laughs> I have to assume. Um, I mean, what, what, what were your thoughts on that? Uh, I haven't, like I said, the next issue I just skimmed. I didn't read it. Well, it, it wasn't um, even the next issue. Several issues passed when, you know, basically the, the baby goes away, comes back. And oh, realizes see the, see the fighter pilot that inherits the power or something? No, he's the old man. His nephew or grandson was dying. And so um, the star child gives Jacob Burnley, this old man. Like I said, he looked like um, a cross between Wilford Brimley and John Byrne. Maybe it you was. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, I mean. I think I'm looking at it right now. Is it? He's uh, even on the cover of page of issue 17. 17. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm looking at right now. Uh and you know he of course makes that spot on the moon where uh, he and he and his grandson stay at for a while, and it's like a Garden of Eden type you know scenario. So I haven't read but this. Yeah. Now this what? is I will say this. This is uh, he comes in in issue fifteen. Yeah, but this the artwork. Who's doing the artwork in this? Because it looks which, which one? So I'm looking well, at seventeen right now. The artwork is much more burned. Yeah, uh, Byrne um, did did the artwork, and it's funny because this issue doesn't state in the regular pages uh, who did the art on it, but it's definitely John Byrne. It's just a different anchor. Yeah, see there. It's definitely. It's not at all. Uh, yeah, it's a big. That's yeah, Willie Lumpkin. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit okay. like Willie Lumpkin, and a little bit like the guy that had the. Uh, the power from the Fantastic Four, where he, uh, yeah, he, didn't know he, had the, the, he had the power, but he didn't know he had the power. Yeah, the man with the power. Yeah. That wound up bringing ego. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, it says Byrne was the anchor. That can't be right. Let me go to No, this looks like Klaus Jansen is the anchor. No. Um, it's someone not quite as skilled. But it's not Byrne. He's not inking himself. There's two heavy lines, and there's two. It's just two. I don't know who inked it. but That's issue 17, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at it now. Yeah. Okay. So I haven't read these in so long. I've forgotten about them. Now that I, re- I go back and look at them, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Well, the 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 Jacob Burnley character, of course. He again, you know, he's he's uh, the old man. He's an old man. <coughs> okay. Yeah. Inker is Tom Morgan. Hmm. Don't know him. According to Mike's Amazing World. And yeah, uh, he uh, not. Very prolific. Um, 144 credits from 95 to 2000. <coughs> 85 to 2000, excuse me. And it's always just like one-shot issues here and there. A couple Marvel Comics Presents. New Warriors Annual. He inked every one of the stories in that. Just the annuals? He inked over Bagley? No, what Bagley doing? New, New Warriors ones? Annual 1. There oh. was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 stories 
in that one issue, in that one uh, annual, and he inked every one of them. Someone else did the artwork, but he inked them. <clears throat> uh, Alpha Flight, he did a bit of a run on there. Punisher 2099. Extreme Justice for DC. <laughs> uh, two Star Treks. Mr. Mixaplick. Daredevil 377 and 378. Hmm. But, I mean, he's he didn't have any longevity anywhere. And, and I, I thought his inks were decent, but, I mean, it was more like a... This is what, what I think Vinnie Coletta would do. It, lo- it looked like he erased a lot of Burns' detail. And he tried to emulate Dick Giordano. Uh. Like, if, if, if you're looking at issue 17 and you look at page 3... That looks like a Giordano face uh, in the third panel. But, again, that's just, you know. But, uh, you know, the cover, of course, is beautiful, that one. Um, and and, and the, the thing is, of course, the with the next issue, uh, Starbrand and uh, the old man coming at him at the con and him blowing up Pittsburgh. and killing, killing everybody at the convention, including Bob and Cassie and Byrne and Higgins and... Uh, Grunwald and all, you know all those guys. Even when they deconstruct his uh, whole superhero thing and talk about how it'd be so easy to figure <laughs> out who he is, he is right. I love that. Yeah, we'll just you know start you know go to Pittsburgh, look for guys over six foot five with a sizable schnoz, and start knocking them off one by one. It was. Well, <laughs> well let me ask you this: um, as we wrap this up here, yeah, do you prefer this? Do you want a, a comic world that's this? kind of they call it hyper realistic i don't call it hyper realistic but this realistic where a lot of the tropes are kind of i bought this book because it you know was burned at this point i did um, but i'm saying right now if you had a book like this or do you prefer i prefer marvel the way it is now where that it exists in our world except i don't mind that there's super science and there's gods and that there's oh yeah other dimensions yeah. And things like that i don't this this almost puts too many barriers in your way because you can't like well i can't do this i can't do that because we're trying to play by these rules i think you ham you kind of hamstring yourself uh, you have to give yourself the willing suspension of disbelief right. and if you if you're constantly kind of <clears throat> you know this this is actually a, a constant uh discussion that actually happens on burn's site when the people that post on there question him about one thing or another he says look if you're going to question these things maybe it's time to put the comic books down mm-hmm because you have to give that conceit. You have to give that there are things that, you know, Clark Kent's glasses protects his identity. But then again, if you look at uh, Zoe Deschanel and you look at her with her glasses on and her glasses off, she is two completely different people. But then again, she also sweeps her bangs away. Yeah. Well, <laughs> people, the people that are used to having glasses, you take them off and you do look, you know, very different. But um, yeah, I've I, never yeah, seen yeah. you without yours, I don't think. Yeah, I, don't know. I usually can't see anything. That she seemed asleep, and um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I think I thought it was interesting, but I don't know if I want to uh, want to live in a world like this. Meaning, continually read a book that has that they kind of pick apart all the tropes and and call attention to itself, and 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 it's more. It's not escapism enough for me, and that's what I want to have a book. I want to kind of you know not necessarily see the world outside my window. I want to you know go to Asgard, or I want to go to the negative zone, or I want to. Well, and then going back to that, though, uh, I think that what made the first several issues of Starbrand entertaining is that, again, he was at that younger age doing those younger guy things. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of relatability 
from the uh, the, the the readers. Again, I was I, I was able to relate in certain areas. Yeah, and and, I, and so that that made it interesting. But you know, as soon as it got to this point, you know, I, I was not as interested as, as I was curious, and well, I stayed with it to the end. But I knew that the end was coming. I mean, I, I I did the same thing, and I think it did after the the pit incident. It started a darker tone uh, mm-hmm. with the pit and the draft and. Uh, I can't remember the stuff that's going on in the other books. I mean, but uh, at that point, the world had changed so much that mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't our world, and it wasn't the Marvel six one six or whatever they wanted to call right, it at right. that point. It was it was a different world altogether, and you, you, I mean, it was it was a mixed bag because the pit juice and everything that was coming out of that, it, all the things that still hadn't been revealed from the white event. It, you know, it it mm-hmm. opened up a lot of doors, but at the same time. It wasn't the right sandbox, so it wasn't as interesting. You know, it's kind of like coming across a sandbox to play in. You get in, and you find over here is a diamond in the rough, but over there is a cat turd. Because <laughs> it was mostly the diamond in the rough was the one thing. Now, yeah. Starbrand. All the others, a lot of cat crap. Sorry. Well, they were, well there's something like DP said much of the other one I watched. That's basically, that was the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, and the others, I didn't really... You know, there were any really, I say, breakout ideas, uh, and I guess you, th- you felt like it would start. You're starting off with like, okay, there's no superheroes, you know, and there's this event where suddenly we get a couple of superheroes. You, I guess, you felt that suddenly all the blank spots would start being filled in the way you 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 know with the Marvel universe is. You've got all these heroes, right. so you're kind of getting this on the ground floor with this one. But now, did, did you play role playing games back th- back in the day? I played some D and D. But you never did any champions or villains and vigilantes or anything no, like that, because no, no. you know, you know I, I tried doing that with my friends, and I had I had huge troubles. We we talked about that in the past, right. but I then started running a game, and what I wound up doing because they just you know they never could really get into what the villains were that we were creating and and, and all that. So we started creating an amalgam of both the DC and the Marvel and Pacific and first and all that. We made one world where they could, you know, interact with Superman on one day, but also Spider-Man the next, you Mm -hmm. know, and by creating that kind of sandbox, all of a sudden it opened all these vistas and all these different possibilities, all these villains that they could go up against. And everybody came so interested that, I had people knocking on my door at three in the morning to say, "What happens next?" <laughs> you know, it was it was crazy because, uh, you know, I would get two people that are in two different storylines going two completely different directions show up at my apartment and want to go over what's going to happen next, and I'm sitting there, well, what, how can I? What can I? And I'm I might wind up turning it into a, a, a Marvel, you know, uh, team up almost yeah. <laughs> between the two of them, you know. Creating a contrivance to fight, you know, have them find themselves working together or working against each other. Because yeah, everybody fought at first. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, that it was it was the thing. It's the sandbox, yeah. and that's ultimately what you want. It tried to become a sandbox with the, the pit and all that. But I, I think that they already had the writing on the wall. I think they already knew it wasn't going to fly. Yeah, and it wasn't lasting. And, that, to, and really, that was the first. Uh, really kind of the first attempt to integrate because they, they would kind of guest star each other's books, but there wasn't a lot of integration between right. all of the books the way Marvel did, which is what I fell in love with Marvel the first time. It was like everybody would guest star in the books, talk about the other characters and stuff. So 
Pass uh, him on the street. Yeah. Yeah, you would just see him. So you, you read an issue of Daredevil. Daredevil's like, you know, he he feels a couple pass by, and he goes, "I bet you that couple's got no cares in the world." Not Peter and Mary Jane. Mary Jane. You know, yep. He I, feels I, the couple I, going by. He I, doesn't I, see them, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I I think this. Uh, I think Starbrain's. If you're gonna read one of the New Universe books, I think Starbrain's a good a good one to read, and you could read the whole whole the whole series uh, like, I, like i said i read the entire series from from one to the end what a week ago yeah and um i mean i, I initially just read issue 11 to see you know how that went but it made me want to read the others just because i remember the stories that's and, what i did i just didn't get a chance to get through all of them but and and so yeah you know i went and reread the whole thing and the whole thing does you know it, it is one story from beginning to end it takes a left turn here after issue 11 um that that gets you away from Ken Connell for the most part, but still, it's it's not a bad story. No, no, and I think as an artifact of the times, it's kind of interesting to read it on that level too, to see yeah. how they were trying to do something different that wasn't a, your uh, your average uh, run of the mill you know superhero story. They were you know they, they you know it was an experiment that didn't quite work, but. I would definitely like to pick Jim Shooter's brain, though. To uh, you know, the next time he comes to a con, we got to go and we got to pick his him, brain and see what yeah. see what he, if he would tell or even remember. Because a, a lot of times, what what a lot of creators are are, are falling back on these days, is I really don't remember what I was doing yeah. with with that. I mean, that's, then. I mean, that's I mean, I can understand that too. You, know, you can ask me stuff I worked on, like you got to show me a picture. I can't remember, you know, what it was. Yeah, and it, you know when you deal with something like Starbrand, which I think was a personal project for him. I mean, it was the most personal project mm-hmm. he had worked on at Marvel. Um, you know, because it was the new universe, it was the flagship, and all that, and just things didn't go the way he wanted them to. Yeah, um, I think you know that that you know maybe he doesn't want to talk about it. Maybe he does want to put it behind him. Yeah, we can try. You know, yeah, we'll see what happens. Just ask him. If you guys got any questions, let us know, though. Just send us an email at gottagetburned at gmail.com, or you can uh, write a review for us on, what, what what do they call it now, Apple Tunes or... iTunes what? or Apple, it's iTunes. It, I don't Apple know Music. Yeah, Apple Music. A, yeah, now, guess what? What? We got email. We do have an email. That's right. We have two, we have two emails. Oh. The first, and both of these are, are about Dark Phoenix, of course, our coverage of the Dark Phoenix saga. The first comes from our friend and pal, Gene Hendricks. Hey, Gene. Uh, It's titled, Who Would Listen to All of This? Well, guys, I think you know the answer to that. Nobody. (laughs) Seriously, though, I came to the Dark Phoenix saga rather late. And after I started reading X-Factor and had to go back and find out what happened. To that end, while I really enjoyed the story and considered it amongst the best ever done, I was still happy with the retcon. Listening to your coverage, though, I think I've gotten a new appreciation for just how groundbreaking the story was. We'd already seen the death of Gwen Stacy, but she was a supporting character. This was one of the main characters, one of the founders of the team that fell from grace and was killed. That had never been seen before, and that makes this story one of the most important in the history of comics. I still like that Jean came back because I love the original X-Men coming back together as X-Factor but I can see why you wanted the original ending to stick. Keep up the great, if rather long, work, guys. <laughs> I'll certainly be listening. Gene. All right. And you can find Gene on the Hammer Strikes podcast or at thehammerstrikes.com, thehammerstrikes.blogspot.com, and at twotruefreaks.com. He does anime and freaks. Then he do anime freaks with uh, uh, Bill, 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 Dr. Bill, Dr. Class Bill. 1000, um, at class1000pod.podbean.com. 
and uh, those pages we don't talk about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. And our next email, do you want to read one from Jack Bond? Uh, if you've already got up, go ahead and read it because I don't have my email opened up. His name is Bond. Jack Bond. It's B-O-H-N. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Phoenix. Any cool spelling wouldn't be as cool. What? Any cool K-E-W-L spelling wouldn't be as cool. Okay. Oh. <clears throat> okay. Jack says, great shows. During your discussion of X-Men Elsewhere, I was struck by the, the corporate problem with the book. Any other new X-Men book or even old X-Men book needs a writer, a good to hot artist, and an appealing selection of mutants and Wolverine is never too busy. Elsewhere, as a John Byrne returns to the X-Men book, needs John Byrne. Lose Byrne and the book is canceled. And if that's too soon after the launch, it's, it looks bad. Without wanting to insult either side, Marvel needs to consider what they need to keep Byrne happy and on the book and how long they can do that. I will say that uh, stringing him along does not seem to be a good start. The only other Phoenix Lives book I read was The Untold Story. A friend had it way back in the 80s, which he had loaned me his Dark Phoenix trade paperback. I read that in one sitting, skipping dinner, and having strange four-color dreams all night. <laughs> I remember those. <laughs> I don't remember noticing the changes in tone uh, of the X-Men's thoughts, just that wherever Claremont reworking dialogue, it always got wordier. Should Phoenix have died? I'm of two minds about it. This is a Lee Kirby superhero. You don't do that to one of them. But it's the most powerful ending to the story. Claremont and Byrne wrote the X-Men like they owned them. And I mean that in the best sense. Not like a model kit you can fill with firecrackers and watch the pieces <laughs> fly apart. But like a car or house and in for that long haul. Change it, renovate it, add to it, make a major mistake and live with it. Work around it. And that That's... Uh, yeah, that's rather poignant there. Yeah, I like nice that, Jack. Email. Very nice email. Now, the as far as Elseworlds goes, of course, um, Byrne is not going to publish it with Marvel. He's uh, working on it on his own, and uh, I think he's enjoying it. He's having fun with it. Um, the latest pages that come out recently, the beginning of the fourth issue, um, is all Ben Shire and Gladiator, and uh, you know, Gladiator trying to find out what's going on with this. Uh, remnant that they've got uh, after the Phoenix saga. So um, I, I don't want to say more. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that this issue is going to be a Sentinel heavy issue because it's titled Wide Awake. Oh yeah. Um, I, I need to download those and, and kind of get into the reading. I haven't had time. Well, issues one, two, and three are out there on, on at burnrobotics.com under the fan fiction forum. If you go out there, you'll see, you know, Issue 1, Issue 2, Issue 3 of X-Men Elsewhere. You can read those, and then, of course, there are comments page for each one of them. Nice. So you can go in and put, put your own thoughts about you know one thing or another. I actually made a comment uh, in the last issue because the X-Men were picking up uh, Willie Evans, um, who was a character from uh, an old issue of Fantastic Four, issue, I think like 203, that Reed Richards had recommended to Professor Xavier. And, uh, you know, because Willie had some special powers. Mm -hmm. And so the X-Men invited them out to the mansion. They showed them around the mansion. Then they revealed themselves as the X-Men. While they're driving to the mansion, they drive past a, a place in the city that had been uh, in Salem Center that had gotten smashed up in the previous issue by a single prototype Sentinel. And Kitty Pride makes the comment that uh, like a gas main or water main had blown. And that's what caused all that. And I was just like... I, I would have been more comfortable with any other X-Men than Kitty being the one that has to sit there and give this cover story. 
because she's so new, so young, so mm-hmm. raw. You don't know how good yeah. of an actor she's going to be with somebody that doesn't know all the superhero stuff. And you know, I mean, Byrne didn't, he didn't much care for my, my discussion on that. It's, it wasn't argumentative. He just didn't understand what the big deal was with it. You know, question him. And, you know, again, you know, the thing is you've got to be specific and you've got to be on yeah. point. You've got to come with a, a cogent, lucid argument uh, if, if you're going to disagree with them on something. And, you know, obviously I didn't have uh, my words together. So I was the fool that he didn't suffer lightly. No, well. But again, you know, I don't take it personally, and he doesn't either. Yeah. He just responds and moves on. He's much like a golfer in that way, where he doesn't take a lot personally these days. You can sit there and say pretty much whatever. Now, if you get downright rude, he will bang you from the site. But you've got to get really rude. Yeah. Well, there's no there's no call for that. If you, have a, if you can disagree, you can disagree, but... Yeah, don't. Take I just, I things. just wasn't comfortable with it myself. But, yeah. but that's me. And in in some ways, I, I don't. You know, people don't necessarily always agree with me. I remember getting into an argument online with a guy about. Um, I'm trying to remember which animated movie it was. I think it was the uh, All Star Superman, or it was the Doom. No, it was the Doomsday one that they did the first Doomsday one, mm-hmm. because they had a scene where they had Superman and Lois. At the Fortress of Solitude in bathrobes, and you know, as, as, as you know, as a parent, I was like, man, I'm I'm not comfortable with showing that one to my son. <laughs> I mean, a year later, I was like, ah, yeah, go ahead, watch it. You know, but I mean, the thing was, I wasn't comfortable with it when I saw it, and I kind of I, I made a point of that on the on the thing. And man, I got so much crap from people who disagreed with me that I'm just a prude, puritanical guy from the uh, old country. And, you know, I understand that. It's just, you know, the, the thing was, like, when I was a kid, we didn't get that. Well, we didn't get those scenes in the comics. Damn Comic Code Authority. <laughs> well. Why do you think we had such a is. hard time with him killing Zod? <laughs> Damn. Really? Anyway. Uh, but, hey, John, uh, Jack, that was, uh, that, that, uh, we really, really appreciate you writing. Gene, we also appreciate you writing in. Uh, we, we we haven't been getting a whole lot of feedback lately, so it's always good to get it. And if you guys do listen on iTunes, or even if you just have an account, please go out and visit us rate there us. Give and, us rate. and rate us. That gives us exposure so other people can find us. And right now we've got four reviews up. We really need more because one of the one of the first ones that Gene Hendricks put on actually fell off. <laughs> it's probably so, so old, I, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, probably, probably that old. But um, – Anyway, uh, that's actually all I've got to say for yeah, right now. I How got, about you? Uh, that's it. I, I mean, it, my final words are: it was a, it was an okay issue. Uh, it's part of you know part of the rest of them. It's it's worth reading. Uh, and if you're, I mean, if you're interested, and if we've made you at all interested in what you're reading, you know, pick it up uh, in a trade. I don't think you can buy it on Comicology or anything like that. I'm not sure if there are digital versions of it or not, but uh, you can usually find these in in the bins. I don't think there any of these are. Uh, no, I, I mean, the thing is, collectible. you buy them online, they're $2 each. Yeah, they're super but, cheap. I, I mean, but yeah, with $3 shipping. You're going to find them in the cheapy bins. Yeah. And I mean, they're they're definitely not, not a bad read. No, and even really? the Terry Bates issues aren't bad. They're just, you know, standard comic book they're stories. Just, yeah, they're, 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 they're exactly, exactly what they are. They're middle of the road. You know, read them and pass them on to somebody else. You know, you don't have to keep them. But that, that's all I've got. Uh. All right. Well, hey, uh, thanks, Tim. I really, I'm, I'm glad we were able to get together on this. No, it's uh, always a pleasure. Uh, and we'll, uh, I don't know what we're going to cover next, but it'll be a surprise. 
Well, we're we're definitely uh, looking for uh, for a Halloween episode. We're, right. We're thinking about. Um, do we want to mention that? We can. Yeah, I mean, we can mention. Yeah, it. It's not like it's a super. Doing secret. some something maybe from Blood of the Demon. Right. Which we haven't covered, and I have yet to read any of his issues for that. So that's going to be new for me. So uh, maybe so, we'll we'll cover the the Frankenstein issue we tried to a year or so ago. So the the angel angel story. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, right. well, we're going to have some discussion offline, and uh, I guess we will talk to you next time. All right. Good night. With Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. And I'm Tim Elliott. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.